0: Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to the mystery. Welcome to
1: Creek Devil. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Creek Devil. Michael is joining us. Tom, you spoke with Mike. you want to break this in here?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to This is uh, Michael from Maine. And just before we get started, I want to mention if you like the show, let us know. Click the like button. If you haven't subscribed, you can click the like and subscribe button. And if you want to support us, we got a link for Patreon in the description. Michael, now you live in Maine and you bought a house and you're just telling Will and I that it sounded like a motivated seller. We think we know the reason why. And I think what I'm going to do is just have you start from the very beginning and tell us, you know, how you got into the property, what wonderful things you discovered when you got there. Of course, you know, I'm being sarcastic Uh, and just tell us, just tell us everything that's going on there.
0: So I obviously grew up in the Boston area. Um, I was in the Marine Corps. I got hurt in Iraq. And then after that, I kind of I went back to Boston, and uh, I kind of floated around a bit, didn't really know what to do with myself, trying to figure it all out. And I had a lot of guys up here in Maine that I served with, uh, and I was actually in one of their weddings, and I kept coming up to visit, and I never wanted to leave. It was the most beautiful place I've ever seen. So I said, might as well just move up here, and that's what I did. I kind of just did it on a whim. I liked the peace and quiet everybody's very nice. It's one of the most beautiful places I have ever seen. Maine is gorgeous. So that being said, I packed my stuff up in the middle of an ice storm in February. <laughs> that's the greatest time to come to Maine. Right. And I drove up to Maine, didn't even have a plan or nothing, just figured out wing it. So that's what I did. I winged it and slowly and surely started meeting some people. And uh, make a long story short, I lived in Bangor for a couple of years in the city, and it was time for me to start looking at houses. I didn't want to rent anymore, and it was just time, and the market was crazy. I'm sure you guys remember the housing market Uh, about a year ago, six months ago. It was insane. I couldn't find anything. There were 30 or 40 bids on every house. I was getting outbid. Uh, I I didn't think I was going to find anything. And one day I'm, I'm scrolling through the prospective houses, and I see this perfect little cape, a 900-square-foot cape, which is perfect. I don't have kids. It's on this beautiful lot. It's on a private drive, and 1,200 feet through my backyard is a harbor, a saltwater uh, marsh. It's where the Penobscot River and the Gulf of Maine intersect, so the fresh water meets the salt water. So it's just a very unique area in and of itself, just because of that. So I thought this is this seems a little. The price was good. Uh, had a new porch, new things done to it, a new foundation. It's got a what they call them a he shed or something. It's got this like a man cave out in the back, right on the edge of the. It's just it was perfect. I thought something has to be up. It's from 1906. Maybe it's haunted. I didn't know what, but. I found it odd that this house was just sitting there and there's no action on it, no action on it. And it's just in a beautiful location. So we, we, went ahead and made an offer. And I think that day my friend was my agent, my real estate agent. I think they accepted it that day. I was like, what? That's a little, like they, they didn't want to barter. They didn't say, Hey, well, you know, hold off. We could probably get, a substantially larger amount of money than what I was offering to the way the market was, but no, they just took it. So I thought this was great. Finally, something's working out for me. It's the start of what I'm looking for. I can own a home where I come from owning a home. is That's like a big deal. That's you've kind of made it. That's a big milestone. So for me, I thought this was perfect. I got a house near the ocean, you know, surrounded by forest. It's just perfect. Uh, I moved in August, 5th, August 7th, uh, I was the 7th or 8th, a friend that I served with, he lives, I don't, I don't want to say exactly where, but maybe 40 minutes from me, and this would be the first time that I've, I've left my house all day and come back late at night. I got home at about 9, and I pulled down, like I said, I have a private drive, and it's right before you get to a cape. Juts out into the ocean. Pulled down my private drive. And it's August, so I have my windows down. And for some reason, I hit my headlight. I don't know why I did it. I don't know why I did that. But something said, kill your lights. I have a really quiet car. And I rolled down my private drive. And there's a bend. And as soon as I got to right about in front of my house, I thought I heard, sound sounded like gunshots. Popped it in the park, and I killed it. I'm listening. And from about 50 yards into the woods behind my house, which is, there's two creeks that run by my house, on my left and on my right. It's about a 30-foot drop-off into each. You can't see down there. And you can hear the water running, and those creeks run that 1,000 feet, 1,200 feet, straight back to the, the harbor, the tidal flats. I heard what I thought was gunshots coming from down that creek. So I shut the car off and jumped out. And I heard it again, but it was, sounded like rocks being hit together. It was not gunshots. but It was loud. And it was frantic. And it, it weirded me out. Because I thought, what, what is, uh, there's no one really around me. My neighbors go to Florida for the winter. Uh, I didn't think they were around this, at this time. It's not the winter, correct, but, but they weren't here. First thing I thought was, why is, I'm not going to say her name, but why is she down there banging rocks in the creek next to my house? I thought it was, maybe she's a little off or something. And then I heard it again, and I thought, this is just bizarre. And i it scared the ever-living crap out of me. And then I heard crunch, 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 something taking off towards the ocean. That's all I needed to hear. I ran in the house, locked and loaded. <laughs> I ran upstairs. I shut off all my lights. I opened the window, and I just sat there listening. And for 10 or 15 minutes, you could hear something back there. You'd hear crunch, 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 walking around. You'd hear a tree break or a limb snapping or maybe something stepping on something and breaking it. So it's clearly something walking around back there. I'm thinking there's a person or people were trying to break into my house and I interrupted it. And the more I'm listening, it's just, it doesn't make sense because this, you can't really walk back there. It's not an area to just go walk around. And especially in the dark, you would, you would make it. I'd hear someone falling and screaming and there was none of it. So I waited about 10 minutes. My girlfriend was supposed to be pulling in at any time in about 10 or 15 minutes. After that happening, I'm up in the window, locked and loaded, panicking, thinking I'm, so people are coming, or I don't know what's going on here. She pulls down my driveway. As soon as she makes that corner I made, you could hear three knocks on a tree. Bing, bing, bing. I don't know if you've ever been to a baseball game, but it sounded like a solid connect, about a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, just that wood sound of a baseball bat, that solid crack. It was three of them. And I, I ran out there. She's never seen me like that, uh, you know, get in the house. And she's like, what's going on? I said, get in the house. And she could tell, I'm, you know, I'm armed. My eyes are wide open. She, I'm freaking out. She's like, oh, boy. And I brought her in the house. And she's like, what's going on? I explained to her what happened. And so that was my introduction to the house. That was my second night I was there. And it didn't make much sense to me what would be hiding in my creek uh, banging rocks when I pulled down the driveway it, it sounded like I snuck up on them so I don't know what they were doing but that was the second night I bought the house that happened and then things just kind of went from there
2: what were some so, of yeah. the other experiences that you had that were kind of related or you know noteworthy? so yeah. that was
0: That was about August 7th. I said I I closed on the house. I believe it was, uh, looking at the papers, August 5th. So that was August 7th. So after that, I am thoroughly creeped out. Next morning, I go back into the the forest down to the Tidal Flats, and I'm just looking around, looking for stuff. I'm just trying to see if there's people sleeping back here. Maybe there's some homeless people. Because there's also railroad tracks that are back there. And it's they're on like a, an embankment it's the tracks are up a good 30 feet so you can't even see if someone was down there you you wouldn't be able to see him it's like a perfect hiding spot so i thought there was some homeless people or something that were living back there in the woods that's what i thought it was maybe they were trying to come break in they didn't know i was home or something it's the only logical explanation i could come up with i'm looking around down there i'm not finding anything uh come back and cut my lawn And I had foliage and trees on the perimeter of my yard where the forest comes up to my property. And there's an area in the back. And every time I would get down there with my mower, I would catch a whiff of something. It was the most foul smell I've ever encountered. And the only thing I could equate it to was sewerage baking in 150 degree heat. (laughs) It was horrible. And I would look around and... Again, I can't see into the brush. It's very similar to where you guys are from around here. It's very dense forest. And I, uh, I don't see anything on the ground. I walk away. I continue mowing my lawn. I come back down to the spot again. There it is again. It's only in this one spot. And I do that four or five times. And then that last time I come by, there's nothing. No conclusion that I could draw because if there's something dead in the woods or maybe there's some crap or something droppings from an animal, why, why did it go away? That was the second thing I thought was odd. <clears throat> and then after that, there would be whistles, a really shrill whistle. It didn't sound like a person. It was just kind of uh, like, I can't, I can't do it. I don't know how to whistle, but yet when people put their fingers in their mouths and they make that really shrill, short, wistful sound, we started hearing that. Uh, it was always late at night. We'd, I'd be having a fire out back with my girlfriend at the time, and, and we would hear it. And she'd look at me and say, What was that? And I said, That was a whistle. It's always coming from back there down in the tidal flats. Uh, we, we got whistles a few times. And then there was one night, like I mentioned to Tom. So if you go the opposite direction of these tidal flats, there's a place called Fletcher Hill, and it's blueberry fields. And behind it is a couple mountains, six hundred to a thousand foot mountains, marshland, and just nothing. I mean, you could go to Canada and not see a house or a road if you wanted to. It was about one o'clock in the morning and we both heard it sounded like a rifle shot. Now, after listening to you guys for a little bit, I'm trying to figure this out on my own. I don't believe it was a rifle shot. I believe it was Something hitting a tree or, 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 or it sounded like something hitting an oak tree or some kind of hardwood on hardwood or a rock on hardwood. And it sounded like a sniper shot. It echoed. And then immediately following that, it sounded like an ambulance siren. And it started real slow. And it built up and built up and built up. And it got to almost an air raid siren. Just the loudest noise I've ever heard in my life. And then it went into a roar. And we just looked at each other and I said, it's time to go in. I I don't know what that is.
2: <laughs> uh, I'm going to interrupt real quick. I just want to say we have a guy in Texas that uh, he knows a gal down there that reported the same thing. That there was a sound that sounded like uh, she thought it was the Air Force Base or the military base. But it was like a siren that would go off, mm-hmm. but it yeah. was one of I, these things.
1: I got a little input too when you talked about the sound; it almost sounds like a gunshot. Uh, yeah. My old buddy Milo that I grew up with, he knew a gal near Fort Lewis, and uh, she actually had activity going on around her property and recorded that. I have, I can send you that recording. We have that sound.
0: That be that would be great. Yeah, that would be great. There's been other instances. Um, it's, it wasn't a that wasn't an animal that I'm aware of,
3: uh,
0: or or she. I mean that's that wasn't something normal. If you know what I mean? That was something very abnormal and loud. I don't know anything that would have the lung capacity to Fletcher Hill is a mile up away from me. Those streams that I mentioned, that the creeks that run by my house, they come down from the hill, maybe a mile away. The crow flies from my house, not that far, but for me to hear something a mile away, maybe more as if it's 10 feet behind my house. That's, that's concerning. Yeah. I can't imagine the
1: the lung power. That's a hell of a lung capacity.
0: Right. So it's gotta be big, (laughs) whatever that is. Uh, And then, so that was pretty obvious what it was. And again, this is all in a span of a month. It was rapid fire. All this stuff was just happening. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, On extra foggy nights, the part of Maine that I live in on the coast, it's known for fog. It's known for really creepy, airy fog. The type of fog, probably similar to you guys have. But you stick your hand five feet in front of your face, you can't see it. Fog. You can't really even drive in because you can't, the lights don't penetrate it. I've noticed on nights like that, I seem to hear more stuff. Uh, Whistling, crunches just a random snap or a break back in the creeks, a couple hundred yards by my house, just a random pow, snap, things like that. I've had, I should say, some apple trees. I've since cut down all the, I've cut down all the shrubbery. I've cut down trees. I've cut down just about everything. I can see clean of the forest now. So I don't have these apple trees anymore for obvious reasons. But I had five apple trees. Black walnut trees; those are pretty rare for around here. I have about sixty turkeys, probably more, that live behind my house in the woods. I have, I've seen uh, bobcat, I've seen fox, I've seen coyote. There's owls. There's you name it. It's in my yard. I get the impression that these these things hunt behind my house where those creeks go down to the tidal flats oh, all in another. And I told Tom, I have pictures of the stuff too. I've got pictures of footprints back there, these tree bends, snap trees. And I made sure that the only pictures of the snap trees to take are the ones like I've seen you present, you know, cause you can, that's kind of a, an area where you can get into some trouble where wind and, and snow will do some stuff to limbs, but these are very obvious. It's, it's what there's a picture of you, Will, I've seen, and you're pointing to a tree break. It's identical, absolutely identical. And the footprints I've got from back there, same thing. The toes are on the side, and they look like peas in a pod, in circles. It's not a human foot. I've got pictures of that. This is all behind my house. I feel like these guys, and I've been told from people, not, and I have to say not many people, you just get some more. People are going to be more apt to give you a little bit more respect right off the bat than they would say. And I'm not trying to sound no. arrogant, but people are going to be more. They're going to converse with you and maybe be upfront with you because they get a little bit more respect, maybe, of your service or what you they, did. They pay attention. So a little I've, bit. I've had, yeah, correct, correct. <clears throat> and I've had some people pull me aside, tell me some of the stuff. So I know I'm not crazy. They are coming from Fletcher Hill. They've been up there for hundreds of years. The Indians talk about it. So I know did I'm not you, crazy. Um,
1: but
0: I, I thought I was uh, for a little bit, I'll be honest.
1: You're not crazy.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I <laughs> well, this <that's> is <laughs> these are these are repeating patterns. Have you um have you talked to your neighbors about anything odd going on or yeah. anything like that?
3: <clears throat>
2: and if so, woman, what was their response?
0: Yeah, I did. the, the woman and her husband who live uh, you come off the road that goes to the Cape and my private drive is right before the Cape starts. So thousand feet from the water, the woman and her husband that live right up at the top of my private drive. Uh, she came down one day with some garden vegetables. She's a very nice woman introduced herself. And I said to her, uh, I said, you know, I'm not gonna sign her name. I said, can I ask you a question? She says, yeah. And I said, this is really not the way I want this to start. And <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this, but um, is, the people that lived here, was there ever any? She said, like Bigfoot. And I went, oh, my God, I didn't even allude to that. I barely got the words out of my mouth. And she said, like, Bigfoot. And I said, well, uh, you tell me. I don't, <laughs> I'm new here. I don't know. She said, we've had our house slapped. I said, you've had your house slapped. She said, in the middle of the night, me and my husband will be sound asleep and something slaps the side of the house. It, it wakes them up. And they're right against the woods as well. And they'll, they'll get up, they go look around, there's nothing. And I said, well, how many times has that happened? She said, it's happened a few times. And the husband just says, it's the water pump. I said, do you guys have a water pump? And she said, no. <laughs> so yeah, she she was one of the people that was very nice to me and said there yeah, there's people down on, on Cape down on Jet Cape Jellison that have have odd things happening to them. She told me a couple of stories of a woman was doing dishes or cooking, I don't quite remember, but she was looking out her window and there was a chicken coop. She looks up and everything's fine. She looks down. She finishes her dishes, puts some stuff away, comes back, doors swinging open, a bunch of them are missing. She didn't hear a sound. It was locked or latched. There's no blood, no feathers. And things like that have gone on. And then another person told me about seven years ago, all of the livestock and animals around here just we're going missing and it was like a big deal <laughs> and no one knew what was going on we're talking like horses goats were just missing being taken and it was like a big mystery around here everyone was talking like what's going on no one knew anything and i guess the police or whoever had some kind of half-cocked trail cam photo of like it looked like the rear end of a golden retriever or something, and they said, oh, it must you know they tried to pawn it off as a like a strange cat or an animal that came down the tracks from up north or something and just you know went on a rampage, killed everyone's animals, and then that was the end of it. But that's not what happened because the animals were just taken. There was no blood. They weren't. The scene wasn't disturbed. In other words, it, that doesn't compute to some kind of a mountain lion or something they were trying to pin it on coming into town. And then you would see blood. You would, see, you would hear something. there would be fighting and there was never any of that. And plus, all the guys around here, are, you know, they're gun owners. They're, they're woodsmen. You would think if something was killing all their animals or stealing them or whatever, that they would figure that out real quick, right? I know I would stay up multiple nights with night vision and, and wait for whatever that was to come back and take it out. No one ever did that because nothing was coming around. It, it was, it just got, everything disappeared and then it stopped and then it was over. I, I found that to be truly odd. She said that was seven years ago and nothing's happened like that since no one knows what happened. Uh, no one ever heard of anything again. And she said, it seemed very strange the way they presented this half cock trail cam photo of what clearly looked like someone's dog. And they're saying, oh, yeah, that's like some kind of mystery cat or something. And they, that's what did it. I no, Nobody believes that. Nobody believes that. So that kind of stuff's going on here, too. There's other stuff that goes on. There's a restaurant half mile from my house at the base of Fletcher Hill. It's a seasonal restaurant. I live in a town. It's probably 1,200 people in my town. There's not even a stoplight. It's not open year-round. They just opened up. I don't know, a month or two ago. Twice. The first week they were open. Once at three, once at four in the morning. I woke up from a dead sleep. Not only did I wake up from the sleep. I woke up as I was flying through the air onto my feet. And I'm a dead sleeper. I would sleep through artillery. I've been to Fallujah. It takes a lot to wake me up. And this was so loud. It woke me up. It it sounded like someone hitting the side of their dumpster. with an Aluminum bat. Oh, three three and then four in the morning. The first week that their restaurants open, I hadn't heard that all winter when they weren't open. I found that kind of odd, too. The second time I heard it, I jumped in my car. I figured maybe it's someone, a homeless person or something. Again, town of 1,200 people and not a stoplight. Everybody knows everybody. There's no homeless people sleeping on the streets here. I flew over there in my car. There was nothing. Something was rifling through the dumpster and it sounded like it just smashed it almost like it was looking for the first week that restaurants open. Coincidentally, I hear something rifling through the dumpster and then it sounded like it was angry and smashed the lid down or punched it or it was so loud. Like maybe it didn't find food or something. I don't know. Add that to the list of strange things. Uh, I mean, there's just so many odd things It's more hearing things and seeing it. Um, I find X's at that Fletcher Hill. Highway intersects the hill and on the left is Fletcher Hill and on the right, I think it's Blanchard Hill. Blanchard and Fletcher Hill come down to the water. They go by my house. There is an X of two pieces of tree. They're perfect with almost looks like they were whittled and they're probably 20 feet each. And this is the most perfect X I have ever seen. They're touching. They're leaned back a little bit. It's 20 to 30 feet off the highway and you get, you, you wouldn't see it until it's winter and all the leads are gone. That's when you notice it. I got pictures of that. It is, when you see it, it your jaw drops because that's clearly not natural. And this is right before the blueberries well that's there's a blueberry uh business right there. I don't want to get too into it, but apple orchards are right there. Uh, a couple of game preserves are right there, a meadow it's all right there.
2: So let me ask you this um, you said you had an apple tree and you got a, you get two creeks that go down to the ocean. Um, have you ever seen anything like shellfish or anything like like? Like that, looks like something's been feasting on shellfish in large quantities, or any any kind of evidence like that.
0: Found a pile of clams two days ago. I got a picture of it. Pile of clam shells. Just the people, shells. Just the shells. And I know people use clam shells for their gardens because some of the deposits in the shell are really good for the soil. I think, but just. No, this was a pile of them in a heap. They'd been eaten in just like a pile of shells. It's very odd. And it wasn't one or two. It was probably 40 or 50 of them. And thank you for bringing up the apple trees. Because another time, I noticed apples would, would go missing. I cut my lawn. I, I, I probably got sidetracked. That story I told you about that smell.
3: <clears throat>
0: so after I finished my lawn that night, I got done at about 7. And I had a full apple tree, and there were no apples on the ground. You know, I've had friends say, "Well, how do you know that, Mike?" It's because I just cut the grass. <laughs> so, there were apples on the ground. I would have known it because I would have went over it with my mower. There were no apples on the ground. I woke up that next morning. There were no apples on the ground. And half that tree was gone. 13, 12, 13 feet up. Not maybe not that high. Maybe 10 or 11 feet up. Just gone. They're not on the ground. Found that to be strange. So one day I said, I'm just going to go peek down the creek. I don't know why. I'm just going to go poke around back there. And I told Tom, there's an area back there that's got this tall seagrass. Really tall seagrass. You, you, you can't really get down there. I had to walk through knee-high streams and mud. And, and Inside there, there's a little cleared out area. And there was a mound of apples, a pile of apples that were uneaten, probably up to my size. I'm five ten, a couple two, two and a half, three foot high, a mound of my apples across that stream, hidden in the seagrass, like underneath very I can't explain it. I found that to be strange as well. And then there was another time found an apple that was eaten it was cored and there were square teeth marks in it as if one of us took an apple ate it around the core and left the square imprints from our teeth
2: how big were they were those very
0: teeth te- marks very small they were small smaller than my teeth and that apple was in the creek
2: okay and the and the creek's I'm just getting a description of the land, the landscape here. So they empty off, and it sounds like a, like a salt marsh or estuary or something like that.
0: They, they pass by my house on each side, and they kind of, they don't meet, but they both go to the harbor. And before they get to the harbor, there's like rock, rock they built up, and then railroad tracks on top of it. But the railroad tracks are only for the chemical company that goes back and forth. I maybe hear the train once, uh, once a week. So, but it goes under that. They have, you ever see the, those tube like structures that the water will just run through and come out the other side. So it's not blocking the water and the water just flows through that. It pours right out into the, the Harbor, the tidal flats. And this was right before the tracks and like a, Pulled up area with a bunch of trees knocked over. Like I said, you can't, you can't walk around back there. I almost died getting down there. And the stuff, the apples were hidden back there in the seagrass. Yeah, right. Almost as if something's taking those apples, running away, you know, going down to the back there where they know no one's going to be and you can't, no one could even really get to if they wanted to and, and maybe feasting on them down there. I've also found dog collars that were just ripped in half. It was like three of them piled up. Oh, really? Could be anything, but I found that to be strange, too. They weren't taken off. They
2: were ripped off. Any reports of missing domestic animals?
0: Other than the livestock that I mentioned, I I haven't heard anything, but I have seen an area up here where it's very close to, I think, where these things frequent. And for a three-week, two- to three-week flare-up, there was just missing cat, missing dog. Have you seen Bubba? Have you seen so-and-so? Missing, and missing. And I pulled over. It was so striking. There's was probably 15 missing animal posters on a telephone pole in that area, not too far from there. And one of the IDs on the collar, the dog collar, that I could, couldn't make out much, but one of them had a, it said, Belfast, Maine, so-and-so, rabies vaccination, 1992. So that throws another wrinkle into this. Why are people coming up here from Belfast, which is a couple of times away, and hanging out in the, in the, in the salt marsh and dropping off dog collars? Yeah. Um, and again, Tom, that's right near those railroad tracks. So, yeah, No, it's I very maybe, interesting. Maybe I mean, something walks along those railroad tracks and decides, well, here's a nice little area. I don't know. But yeah, I found dog collars that were like ripped off, not taken off.
2: Ripped yeah, off. they're definitely shredded. There's a lot of strength. I mean, dog collars, frankly, they're meant to contain a dog that's trying to get, you know, <laughs> Right. Yeah, they're, they're not flimsy. No, ripped off. Yeah, and it makes you wonder what what the fate of the dog was.
0: Yeah, it does. I think I know.
2: This is all stuff that we've seen. Um. Everything that you've described—the missing livestock, missing domestic animals—the the posters, uh, is all. Patterns that we've heard frequently um, from all over the country—Northern California, Washington, Oregon, Maine, now Maine. So it's uh, and in, you know in a, in conjunction with uh, areas that are known to inhabit be inhabited by these creatures. Um, what about the uh, black walnuts? Have you ever you know? You said you cut those trees down, but before then, did you ever have any? probably any shells still, or thing
0: still have the black walnut trees those are rare and they're they're probably 40 feet high so those i couldn't you know they're not going to go anywhere i cut the apple trees down um i haven't really found much with the, the the black walnuts uh, nothing strange i can say about those to be honest okay um, yeah maybe found a few in strange areas i found one I told you I have that, that man cave shed that's directly under the walnut tree. And I have those old school windows where you, you swivel the handle and it's a, the window opens, you know what I'm saying?
3: Mm-hmm,
0: Got like right. the little old school handle and you turn it clockwise or counterclockwise clockwise to make the window open and close. And in those gears, uh, there was I found one stuffed in the gear because I tried to close the window and it wouldn't budge. I looked and there was a black walnut stuck in there. And there's, there's an overhang to my roof. There's no way for them to fall down where it was. And I have found one before. Very precariously perched on a very small uh, tree branch. Maybe nine, ten feet up. It was just like, kind of it was just sitting there. I don't know how that would have also happened. But other than those two things, that's really all I've ever found with the walnuts. They seem to like apples, but I don't know if the fact that there's not many black walnut trees around, and I have a few, maybe is that, maybe that's something that would entice them as well. Are they even edible? I don't know.
2: The black walnuts? Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah, I think they are. They're, 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 it's akin to cracking open granite, you know, to get to it.
0: But... <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. And you can't get that stuff off your hands either.
2: Yeah, 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 right. But other than that, yeah, I think they're pretty good. I like them. Yeah. And who knows, you know, what the, what the creature's like. And my guess is they got strength. They'd probably munch it down, you know, shell and all. Who knows? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> so terrifying. Uh, yeah. So how about, um, what about recent activity? Because I think we talked about at one point, you said yeah. it stopped. It all, and what I was trying to find it, out is, was there a correlation between you clearing out the all the brush and everything from your house and the activity ceasing, or do you think that do you think that could be the case?
0: Um, I don't believe so, only because it, it went on for a couple of weeks after I cleared it. It seemed to go away as soon as deer hunting season started uh, I don't know if that's A coincidence, but it stopped the first week of October, as I said, the end of September, early October. and That's
1: getting into deer hunting season over here. They they were probably moving on to their next feeding area. Okay. Okay.
0: Now, where would – I don't – how many – how much acres would these things need? Oh, Lord. In other words (laughs) – I... right it, 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 there's an island called Sears Island right over here it's not it's a thousand acres of uninhabited land and it's right off the harbor I'm talking about I hiked it today you can see it from the water now what if these things are because you can't drive on it there's no houses a thousand acres is pretty big island to, for, with nothing on it what if these guys would they so they float across the water
1: sure they swim
0: because if they're Because if they're swimming, that's making a lot of sense to me. Yeah, they swim.
1: They're very good swimmers.
0: Oh, God. That's a whole other twist to this, Will, because...
1: I studied a group in southern Washington for 12 years, and and they occupied over 3,000 square miles. How many of them? Four. So how,
0: how how does one discern if this is... It just seems to me, like for me to have all this going on, that there's
1: what are the chances of
0: three or four of these things that cover that much area,
1: having constant contact with me? Oh, sure, it's it's now, could there? It's common, sure.
0: So they just cover that much ground? Oh yeah. Jeez. So then the reports around here that they're all around me, every direction, everywhere.
1: Right. I, I, Are these things
0: kind of like that? Are they just everywhere? Maybe not everywhere, but there's more of them than we think.
1: There's a lot more than people think.
0: Okay. Okay. So then it's probably not the same group or three or four of these guys that are being seen all over Maine, right? There's got to be groups. Oh, yeah,
1: there's other groups. Sure. Okay. Okay.
0: That was a big question I had because I couldn't reconcile – Three or four of these guys being responsible for all these events and sightings and people seeing them over you know 60 miles away and I know you say they'll travel very far but
1: yeah no there's there's plenty of injuries more plenty of them
0: around okay
1: that's what I thought
0: how do they view us Uh, because I have to say I don't
1: well typically very typically they don't like us okay And I think that's historical, you know, and you know, they come around because we're, we have, we're an easy source of food. Like when, when Tom was asking you about pets, you know, with the missing pets, that's, that's a indicator. If all of a sudden there's a lot of missing pets, well, they come after pets, pet food, livestock, livestock food, you know, anything that we leave laying around that's, you know, to us, it's not a big deal, but to them, it's an easy meal right you know much easier than sitting out for hours you know stalking prey and ambushing something and garbage now would
0: in garbage oh
1: yeah they'll pick through garbage I,
0: you know, I forgot to mention when i bought the house there was one of those compost um big black compost container i don't know if you've ever seen them in people's yards yeah right very very big you know almost probably four feet high and three feet wide it was just full of compost this could be another reason they were poking around over here well I wonder what makes yeah. what would make them cross line of uh, I don't I don't know but why would they then cross that line and, and go for a person
1: I think it works like I, I remember seeing a show a while back here about serial killers and it, it's sort of a you know they were looking at these I can't remember what all which all people, you know, some well-known, some not. Um, And they, and from when they were very young, you know, and sort of how they developed as they got older. And I think these things, it it was a matter of building confidence, you know, learning and building confidence as they grew. And I think these things are kind of the same way. Um, You get a lot of different things that happen when people encounter them. and, And it all depends on what, developmental stage these creatures are in if that makes sense yeah and if and if they're predisposed to doing that kind of a thing they're a lot like people yeah exactly that's
0: interesting do you think they have personalities that are individual to each of them like oh I'm people?
1: sure they do I mean all primates do mhm so then
0: there, there might just be some that are just violent angry right and
3: bitter
1: yeah sure it's going to depend on their experiences their frame of reference yeah you know because you get people the same way they don't all we don't all start out the same way but you know things in our lives Mm -hmm. changes
0: and i can only imagine how many times these things have been shot at or had people take a shot at them or hunters or so maybe that you know if i'm we joked about south boston before tom but if i'm you know walking down the street. And, uh, since I'm a kid and all I know is people trying to rob me or mug me or harm me, I'm going to have a, a really bad attitude and a bad taste towards people.
1: Well, I, you know, here's my take is I, I remember friends at the Klamath reservation in Southern Oregon years ago told me that, um, that the creatures were there when their people came to that region originally, and they pushed them out of the hunting areas. And he, oh. they said, that's why they live up in the high country. So obviously there's mm. always been friction between humans and these creatures, you know, we're a pack hunter, so we're a little, and we're, we, up until recent times have been a pretty vicious species. Uh, that's how we got to where we are. You know, we might not be physically as adept as they are, but as a group, you know, as a pack hunter, you know, pack hunters are probably the most dangerous thing on the planet. So, um, mm-hmm. and you know, Tom and I are old guys, so, you know, when we were growing up, You know we shot at everything (laughs) right right and and that kind of stopped i suppose what do you think tom probably mid 80s yeah that's
2: what i was thinking exactly and
1: you know so up to that point yeah they'd be pretty wary and but now it's it's kind of reversing there's a vacuum because we don't do things like that anymore and there are fewer hunters than there used to be and things like that so and their population is larger than it used to be And we know that because the last few years we've gotten lots and lots of reports of juveniles. In fact, while you were talking, I I have a guy, uh, one of our witnesses, and a friend who has an ongoing active activity in his area, and he just sent me a bunch of new uh, footprint photographs. So, you know, all all brand new stuff.
0: I have a few I'd like you to take a look at and let me know what you think.
1: Yeah, sure, sure
0: is that something you find that they're, they're it does their foot is human looking but it's not quite the toes it's are, different almost yeah. like peas yeah, like peas different. in a pod that's exactly what they looked like yeah. and they were slanted exactly almost going down the side yeah exactly okay yeah that's what that's exactly what this looks like now i have a size 12 foot and it was two inches smaller than mine in my shoes. so right. you think that's a younger one?
1: It could be a juvenile, but there's also a different variation in that part of the country too, than what we have out here in west. Really? And I've had, I've got some good, really good tracks, and I can't remember where in Canada it's Eastern Canada. Uh, a couple of moose hunters. You brought to it. Found some tracks and sent me their pictures, and very, very good prints, but they weren't, they weren't huge, and you know, like the ones we get out here in the west.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, these weren't huge; they were smaller than my feet. Yeah. So are these guys maybe a different type? They're they're built different.
1: A little, a little bit, a little bit. But yeah, I mean,
0: I spoke to someone that had a run in with them that I
1: trust, and he said it just looked like a uh, like a <laughs> like a caveman. Exactly. And if you're familiar with the Minnesota Iceman story, that's uh, what we termed What I call call the type four, that's that's the type of creature we're talking about. It's not like what you see in the Patterson film. It's a different variation.
0: Okay. Okay. And that's what evidently is, is around here. Right.
1: Yeah, that's predominantly. I mean, now there are the other kind occasionally, but predominantly that's the type you have there.
0: Do they have a different temperament? than say the others are they more violent less violent more prone to aggressiveness or
1: well we don't really know all the details but our anthropologist forrest talked about and she's talked about this a few times hasn't she tom about uh primates in the wild their temperament uh typically primates in the wild are kind of nasty characters you know all primates are there's none of them that are really friendly okay okay but like any, so you almost like any wildlife. You definitely want to consider it being uh, not friendly,
0: right? Yeah, there should be apprehension there. So you can almost juxtapose primate characteristics. I don't want to say across the board, but from species and almost make a, a, a kind of like a run and tally of, of how these things may act. Yeah, exactly. Comparative yeah. anthropology. What we know about the prime. Mm-hmm. Okay, you bet. Okay, that makes sense. Now, that would be why they have a range.
1: Yeah, exactly. So don't gorillas do the same thing? Yes. It's on a smaller scale, okay. but it's similar. It's interesting.
0: So you think these things are more, as Tom said, I think he said, they're, they're not human, right? No, no, not at all. They're not an animal.
1: No, not really. They're, they're a hominid they're kind of they're kind of the same thing same thing that we are but they're not the same species we are big difference it's wild you know it's like when they so these, they like to compare chimp DNA to human DNA and you know sharing 98% but that's kind of kind of a that's, it's a poor two percent it's huge it's, it's a very poor way yeah. to explain it because that's huge the differences. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So these guys are intelligent.
1: Very much so. They may be close to us. And they watch us a lot. It's like when you mm-hmm. mentioned slapping in the house and things like that. That's that's trying to get a reaction. They're trying to count heads.
3: Huh.
1: <laughs> that's interesting. Num- numbers mean something that's to them. Also- if there's more people than them, that's that's a big concern.
0: now do you think maybe they were getting the idea of trying something so they wanted to see how many people were around in that
1: funny little wood box yeah, you know i'm sure they're trying to gauge you know their own safety too you know if there's new people in there they want to know how many what they're doing things like mm-hmm. that so yeah it makes sense
0: could so have been checking for a dog when it was banging those rocks in the creek sure could have if been. i had a dog
1: oh yeah sure
0: that, that crossed my mind occasionally i'll hear a dog down near the ocean There's farms on the other side of the creek and every now and then you just hear those dogs going crazy
1: you ever hear sounds animal sounds that sound off oh yeah that sound off like they're not the animal
0: yeah owls that's a big one around here strange (laughs) (laughs) where where have we heard that (laughs) tom yeah (laughs) (laughs) but they move yeah yeah the 800 pound owls right 800 pound owls yeah. and they move they'll they'll start across yeah. the street yeah and then they'll gradually in 20 minutes they're behind my house
3: <laughs> so
0: owls typically don't do that right don't they stay perched where they're at and they only make sounds if something's walking up to them or causing a problem or disturbing them I've, I've never heard of owls just you know going for a jaunt through the
3: woods
2: well That's the sound like they will if I've they're trying it. to draw you into an ambush. They'll do that. Right, Will?
1: Yeah, that never happened to us, did it?
2: <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> Is that something they would try even close to homes? Uh, it's possible, sure.
0: Yes. Owls are the big one. I've heard um I've heard other, I've heard other, things. other things. I don't know what they are. And I've played them for people, and they had no idea. I thought I've heard, like, laughing or sneezing before. Mm-hmm. Um, sounds like a woman laughing. I've heard sneeze-type sounds. And I've heard turkey sounds, but, like I said, I, I do have a lot of turkeys around here, but they it sounded a little strange. Right, right. And you'll, you'll hear birds, like, uh, I'll hear seagulls. It. 3.30 in the morning <laughs> I I don't know I mean I don't know where the seagulls go I, I'm not sure but that seems kind of weird too Is that,
2: yeah, uh, of... I just if because here on the west coast we don't get seagulls at night I just wonder if they do that in Maine or not
1: <laughs> yeah I think here in California I think they head back out to the water in late yeah. afternoon
2: you typically don't see them at
0: night let alone hear them you know 3 in the morning, the morning. Three in the morning, yeah. <laughs> but I just don't know enough about
1: wildlife not being an expert to say, okay, yeah, that's absolutely not what yeah, I, you the, know. The, but, yeah, there's strange. The whistling you mentioned was a big thing, too. That's something Native folks have always talked about. That they'll whistle? Yes. So it's yeah, a short
3: whistle, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's that's for sure. I've had witnesses hear that. My my
1: girlfriend at the times heard that several times. Here, I've heard it before too. And it's interesting, what so you come, like when you mentioned, like you need know, to put your fingers in your mouth and whistle. I can't I can't do that either. But I can't do it. But I've heard that in the mountains. The
0: You've heard that same. Whistle? Oh yeah. Okay. I know I know I'm not crazy, but it just it God. It. Tom, you were right. Thank you for. Uh, I have to say both you guys, because it to be able to try and self educate yourself on a subject on any subject, you're only going to go so far
1: before you just especially can't this subject because there's so much garbage right.
0: out there. Just crazy town,
1: absolutely wacky. though. it's it's one of the worst topics the part- for that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just yeah. terrible, and there's so many witnesses like you that. Have such a hard time. I would have had I not met, you know, some of the original people on the subject. I would have probably never talked about it.
3: Yeah,
0: agreed. It's not something you want to go walking around town saying, "Hey, my name's Mike. I just moved in over here in Landry Lane." So you've seen Bigfoot? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's not exactly something I'm gonna. You know, I'm a single guy here. i got to keep my options open. That's probably not a good way to... Uh, yeah, <laughs> maybe probably <go>. not. <laughs> <laughs> right. You kind of... Uh, <laughs> it's a short list of people you can bring this up to. And it's an even shorter list of people that can converse with you and tell me something that I don't already know. I'm not, And it's not that I know everything, but like I told Tom, I probably listen to 15,000 podcasts like I'm cramming for the bar.
1: Oh, exam. Sure. You know, I'm just...
0: But the problem is I'm getting good at deciphering what the nonsense
1: is now. Well, that's And that's good. why I'm talking to you. That's good, especially right. since a lot of people don't. They, they kind of believe whatever they hear. And you really have to be, I, I tell people, I'm a skeptic, even though I've seen three of these things and, and two of them really close. Um, I'm still, everything, you know, I, I do with the subject is from a skeptic's eye because you want to make sure that, you know, the evidence is above reproach can stand on its own absolutely
0: yeah it's i've run into dead ends and i just don't know and it's not for to ex, to exploit this or to, to it's it's only because i spend a lot of my time in that environment and i would like to know or at least educate be educated on what's around me
1: you know absolutely i 100 percent support that's that more,
0: that's all it really is yeah. i don't intend
1: to you know, make,
0: it, you know what I'm saying? It's for the right reasons, but, uh, so I'm, I'm very thankful that you guys would hear me out and have this conversation cause there's no one else to have it, you know, you know it, and you're kind of it helps a, on your own. Yeah.
1: It helps a lot of other people who, who hear, you know, when, when people like you come on, there's probably 10 or 20 more sitting out there saying, you know, I've never talked about it and won't talk about it. They'll say, right. yeah, you know that I can identify that's exactly what happened to me.
0: And, I, and Tom mentioned that and I, he he got back to me awfully quick, and I thought I'm not one for this kind of stuff, and uh, I'm not you know public speaking or anything like that. I'm a pretty private person, mm-hmm. but I know how I felt, and I know how that made me feel. And that's not a when your whole world crumbles before you, and everything you thought you knew is over. Um, that's not a good feeling. So Tom mentioned that it, it would probably help some other people, and I've, I already feel. I can breathe a lot easier just from speaking to you guys and so that that was the reason I did it so you know if there is anyone out there hey, there are if there's probably more people I get the sense a lot more people around here have seen things and heard things and know things but they just don't talk about it that's exactly the way it is not, not spoken of
1: we had a, a gal in Missouri on Carol a couple of times And she has just a horrendous situation going on there. And apparently, you know, through the course of her experiencing these things, she's found out that the whole community has had these experiences, but nobody really, they wouldn't talk about it.
0: Right. Well, maybe that's the other reason I'm doing this. Because I think there's like an undercurrent right below the surface. I can feel it. I think it's just like anything else. Well, it's going to take the first one to say, "Okay, I'll take some flack in the trenches. Yeah, I'll, I'll do yeah. it." I,
1: I think that's common yeah. everywhere, really.
0: Right, right. That's more of a, I guess you could call it human nature. No one wants to be the first one, right? So, hey, maybe, um, maybe I'm the first one. <laughs> so maybe I can get some more information on what's going on around here because it it has to be a lot more than
1: you know. It can be. Hard. It I can know. be hard too. I, I was telling on one of the shows we talked about, uh, I had a friend in Portland, Carlo was his name and, and Carlo and I used to go to the field together a lot. And, uh, whenever we get a call that something, you know, had been seen, we'd head out, you know, in the Columbia river gorge and have breakfast. And we were talking one, one day and I, I said, you know, looking around the room, there was maybe, you know, 20, 25 people in this restaurant. And I said, you know, out of everybody in here, there's probably two or three people that have seen these things. And i said the, and uh, how you know how do you how do you figure out who and finally i said you know maybe i'm just maybe i should just go walk over and ask somebody so i did and and i was no <laughs> laughing or anything i got up i said you know i walked over this table and there were i think three guys there and i said, "Hey, fellas you know i'm so and so this is what i do have you guys ever seen anything or do you know somebody has and i think one of the guys kind of chuckled a little bit i wasn't laughing wasn't smiling and uh, so he chuckled a little bit but he didn't really say anything except that, well, no, I've never seen anything. One of the guys had actually seen one and the other one knew somebody that did. So it was all three. And, and right. Mike I went back and told Carlo and he says, well, there you go. He said, there's probably more people in here, but you just have to, you know, kind of steal yourself and, and go over and broach the subject, I guess. Right. It's a little more palatable but- these days than it used to be
0: you think that's intentional? Maybe that's being done on purpose to kind of break people in for when it's... They can't hide it forever. I
1: actually think it's because there's more books. There's been a lot more stuff on TV. There's, you know, podcasts like what we do. I I think it's just a lot more stuff out there. So, you know, people... And, of course, social media.
0: I mean, how do you keep a lid on it forever?
1: Yeah, you don't. And and it really only came off, gee, since the late 1950s, you know, when, when de DeHinden emigrated to Canada and, and, you know, the story goes, he, him and the farmer he worked for were listening to a radio show and there was a broadcast on it about some guys going to the Himalayas to look for the Yeti. And Renee made the comment that, wow, wouldn't it be great to go do that? And the farmer didn't even look up. He says, well, you don't have to go that far. They got those things out in British Columbia, <laughs> So the, so the year later he packs up and he moves to British Columbia and he starts looking into this to see if there was anything worth pursuing. And he came to the realization that there really was, there was enough information to make a serious inquiry into this. And that's kind of how this, you know, began the ball rolling into this subject and people getting to know about it.
0: I wonder if it's a liability issue as to why it's not acknowledged. Well, it could you know, be. Yeah, that's what I think. There's got to be some motive for it to not be spoken of. I don't know if it could
2: cover up, but it's not spoken of, that's for sure. Yeah, you know, it was a good point, though, about uh, if you when you approach people on this, and like Will said, you're just serious. And they know that they can trust you, and it's not, um, you know, it's not a, the snicker factor is gone. We're not talking right. tabloid here, and <clears throat> that's what I did in my uh, neighborhood here when I had, you know, after I had my first encounter, found out that my next door neighbor, uh, of all people, he had two encounters with these things, and got to talking to them, and yeah, it was pretty interesting. So, and again, it's just. I think it's how you present it, but I think there's a lot more people that have seen him there are. and haven't 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 said anything. Man, I remember I when I first it came on, it's
0: it's seeing internal, it's a lot of internal
2: comments. It is. It really is. What
0: if you're a person, or what if you have a view of this, or you think that, and then there's there's this thing. Well, that doesn't fit into that, so it doesn't exist. <laughs>
2: that's yeah, that's I what think,
0: I think a lot of people do.
2: Some people are, because I think because of all the nonsense that's out there, there's a, uh, a lot of people think that if I acknowledge that exists, um, then it's going to be, you know, I'm going to be associated. I'm going to be, you know, um, tarred and feathered with the same group there. So I think that's where some of the resistance comes from.
1: Sorry about the phone ringing, guys. I I guess people want to call here when we're recording.
2: (laughs)
0: Well, it, maybe it was someone try, trying to get in touch with me.
3: <laughs> maybe they got a story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the whole thing is really fascinating. It can be scary, but um, I, I would rather know what's going on around me than than. Although, although I don't know, you know, part of, part of me thinks should I have just stayed in the city and had no idea about this or what? I, I don't know, but. I still think you're safe. I I think
2: it sounds like you got a great place to live, and if they're not harassing you now, you got a good spot.
0: I don't feel threatened. I don't, you know, I still go out in my yard in the middle of the night. I still go walk down the trails to the ocean of the dusk and dawn. I don't, I don't let it, you know, maybe that's stupid of me, but. I'm not going to let it run my life. I'm going to continue to do what I do, and if it's my time, it's my time. I guess. Well,
1: and there's but, and
2: it's every bit as safe as South Boston, and, right? And there's things,
1: <laughs> and there's things. You know, if if you know they do, if you do feel you know a problem, you know, let us know. There's some things we can, you know, tell you to do that'll help uh, mitigate those situations.
0: I appreciate that. I, I feel like. Cutting down the shrubs and the trees and all that stuff probably helps. That's one now of the biggest.
1: No, if you cut it back at least fifty feet away from your house, that'll—they don't like going across open areas. They'll right. sneak through the brush. And uh, right. you know, being being ex-military, I'm ex-military too. Um, that's one of the things we learn. You know, is use cover to to maneuver. So right, exactly. And 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 yeah. they're not all mm-hmm. that different. They'll they'll think along the same lines.
0: It's amazing. I've heard they move like a military unit. I was told that, yes. Yeah, I've, I've heard that too. Well, that's, uh, I kind of look at it like like this. Think of, there's a group of fugitives that live in the woods behind my house. <laughs> that's that's kind of how they behave.
1: A bunch of homeless people, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, a bunch of fugitives on the run or something, right? Like, that's... That's how you treat it, kind of yeah, yeah. you know they're out there, they don't want to be seen, they don't want to be bothered, they're going to come sneak around, steal food, do it, maybe shoes, and then run back into the woods. I look at it like there's just some fugitives that are don't want to be found out there because that's yeah that there seems you go. like the logical way to <laughs> approach it, right because they're smart, it's kind of like yeah. there's feral humans living out there, yeah,
1: I don't right, know how else. right
0: really look at it but there's a bunch of fugitives in the woods that's what i tell myself so <laughs> that's a good way to look at it <laughs> yeah <laughs> they haven't done nothing to me i don't it is what it is you know if, if they're gonna do something they're gonna do something but i feel like that whistling was a uh, hey we're out here go in you know well it was late at night
1: Primates will typically warn you. If they don't want you around, you know, you get stuff thrown at you or a display or something, there'll, there'll be a warning.
0: Okay. Maybe the, the whistle could not even been for me. No, it wasn't.
1: They, they were communicating with each other. Ah. They don't communicate with people. They're communicating with each other about people. Yeah, that makes sense. Or whatever it else is they're doing. But people think they're communicating with them. They're not.
0: Do you think it's more of a, we just don't like these guys, or it's like a disdain for us? Or does that vary?
1: I I think it's probably, they're probably taught, you know, that that humans aren't a good thing to, you know, be in uh, contact with. Okay. Probably from, you know, long history.
0: They just avoid us.
1: Yeah, they avoid us. But then so do other large primates, you know, when people say, well, why don't, um, why don't game cameras work? Well, if you put something out in their living room, all primates right. will make a wide berth around human, especially human made objects in their environment. It doesn't belong. It doesn't belong. Right.
0: Now, if you were to hang that up in your yard. Different story. Right because there's other things there that they right. know.
1: Those are human-made objects in a human place, so that's, right. they might right. not distinguish.
0: Have they been caught that way because they weren't scared of, say, the camera or noticed it because there was amongst other things that they don't recognize?
1: Well, actually, we do have a photograph of one that was on uh, a farmer's corral with a game camera. Really? yeah it's not something we don't have permission to put it out publicly but uh, oh I a juvenile sitting in a sitting on the edge of a water tub with its feet in the water <laughs> but it's a very but it's a very clear photograph
0: you can see everything huh
1: oh yeah yeah wow and it's from very a very active area in fact um, while like I mentioned we were talking that uh, our witnesses sent me a bunch of new footprints from the location, so
0: so it's active.
1: It's been going on for some time, yeah.
0: Is I, I asked Tom this and he said yes. So Maine is has a history of these things. Oh yeah. Did you Maine? Yeah, they're Maine, uh
2: upstate New York
1: Vermont, you know, Western that whole Mass. Region, that whole region is very really uh, So
2: okay. there's there's a lot of places.
1: Okay, I mean, it's
0: prime habitat if for something like that. It's perfect. There's nothing but lakes everywhere and water and forest. It's, it's just
1: perfect. So I would I would imagine that this is
0: maybe not like up where you guys are, but I don't think it's too far off.
1: It's not not different, not different at all, really. Roughly the same latitude, think? I think, isn't it, Tom?
0: Yeah, you I actually just looked when Tom called me the other night, because it was an Oregon number. I'm like, who is that? I actually <laughs> looked up yeah, was it the latitude? Yeah. Or the longitude. I quite recall. It's it goes where I am, it's uh perfectly in line with uh
1: Eugene. Yeah, exactly. Or- exactly. So it's it's the same so region have- basically. Or not same type of um mm-hmm. environment.
2: Same latitude, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: So it's not so much that these guys are just really uh, where you guys are. They're just kind of all over the place. It's more that maybe that was just focused on. Could that be it?
1: Yeah. yeah. You
0: you hear Bigfoot, and then you hear Pacific Northwest. You don't hear Maine, Ohio, Pennsylvania, New York, you know?
1: All over the place. Is it just that
0: where the craze was, so that's associated with it? And it, it's not that...
1: The new tracks I because mentioned from bad. the new tracks I mentioned, those come from mm-hmm. Arizona. Arizona. And I would have never thought it until he's gotten hundreds and hundreds of footprints over the past what was it, Tom? Probably past year. Yeah. yeah it, it's it's exactly. just an ongoing. It's it's crazy. It's just prolific.
0: So it, it even surprises you guys where you get these these reports
1: coming in sometimes, from sometimes, yeah, absolutely.
2: Wow. You know, I think it's too bad because there's a lot of them in, you know, of course, we have them here in the Pacific Northwest. And like you said, it's it's kind of the uh, goes along with the lore. But um, really, the south, the southeast, uh, the southwest and the northeast, like where you're at, plenty of them. Ohio, Indiana, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania. Even the Plain States.
1: Even the Plain States. We had Kansas and Nebraska.
0: Where do they hide?
1: Well, if you go through those places, there's nothing but many, many miles of corn.
3: <laughs> yes, there
1: is. <laughs> but but some of the sightings come from. Let me think. It's um, northern northern Kansas near the Missouri River. They got so, mountains. Yeah, like so Oklahoma. It's a little different oh. terrain. Yeah. Just that's I a, practically a, name a place and. You can other than Hawaii, and you can pretty well guarantee there's been sightings. Fascinating. So, do you
0: do you think a 900 or a thousand acre uninhabited island would be housing these things? Could
1: very well. Sure. Why
0: not? Right. And you, you said they're good swimmers, huh?
1: They're very good swimmers. Yes.
0: Yeah. It's called the Penobscot Narrows, the part of the coast that I live on, and it's where. The confluence of, like I said, the the Penobscot River comes down and it goes into the ocean, and then there's these peninsulas and islands and estuaries, and it goes down to Acadia State uh, the park, Acadia National Park, and it's just untouched wilderness. I do a lot of hiking up there. There's mountain ranges, and there, I mean there's
1: parts up there where people haven't been.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And if these if these things can swim, well, the islands I think there might be the islands off Ooh. british columbia like vancouver island for example lots of stuff there tom seward the native fellow we've had on the show a couple of times so far um you know talks very openly about it and uh, so i mean there are many people seen around the islands in alaska and places like that so yeah they, they can swim out there no problem that's crazy
0: I would I would imagine they can hold their breath for probably 15 minutes.
1: <laughs> quite a while, yeah. Yeah.
3: With
0: capacity like that, they could probably take one breath and pop up over on the other side of the bay. I would imagine yeah, they probably are really good swimmers, huh? You would think they're too big, but the oh, ones yeah. around here like you yeah, no, if they're more human proportioned And
1: they're a little smaller, yeah. Yeah.
0: Now when you say smaller, which that's still 7-8 feet.
1: Could even be smaller than that, um, like the Minnesota Iceman, for instance. I think was around five and a half, six feet tall, and and then yeah. there were three of them, so they're all about the same height. So, yeah, they the could be saw
0: smaller. The man, look at one said six, maybe six and a half. Right. Yeah, that 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 lines up with that. Fascinating subject, really is. I would think
2: do well, they well, you've seen stuff the the, the plastic bags
1: oh <laughs> I have a place on it I've told us in quite a few times but there's a place up here in Northern California where I I think if I go there in August there's usually a lot of lot of Bigfoot scat up there and I know it's I know it's Sasquatch because of the size and quantity um, I, we we picked apart one one time just to see what they were eating and you know the clear plastic bags you get in produce one of those yeah. bags was in the scat, so it was it would eat in garbage and ate bag and everything. I would imagine that their uh their
0: guts and stomach they they must just process anything oh, I'm sure they do yeah, they must do these guys, where do they <clears throat> do they sleep up high,
1: high uh ground? they they'll stay above the deer. When the airflow, and that's something I learned fighting forest fire many years ago when I we went to the, the Academy for the Forest Service, is we had to know how the airflow goes 24 hours a day, right? So you can mm-hmm. always stay, um, you know, away from where the fire is going. So right. typically, and it, and it depends on locations and lots of factors, but typically, you know, as the air is worn by the sun, it's moving upwards, upslope. And as it cools in the evening, at night, it goes down and deer will usually sleep about three quarters of the way up if they're coming Uh, up as the air is moving up. And, uh, so the Sasquatch will be on the other side. Up higher. They're pretty smart. Yeah.
2: So
0: for me to see a deer bust out of the woods across the road that my private roads off of, walk across, Stare at me, walk into my yard about a hundred yards away, and then just plop down.
2: Is that strange?
1: That's a little unusual, I'm sure. Feet?
2: Okay, because that's happened. So not... It's even more interesting that they come and stand right next to you, though.
1: Hundred yards Have... away?
2: No, five feet away from you. <laughs> I, oh, I, well, I yeah, interviewed a
1: witness that happened too.
2: Walked right up to him.
1: Well, there was the situation was these two guys went out above the Columbia River back in 1988 and uh, they heard this screaming coming from down below near the river and it was coming up the ridge towards them. and one guy thought it was a a bear and he didn't want to you know encounter a bear so he ran and got in the car out of sight so the other guy stood there and he did see something black go through kind of a clearing and then a deer popped out and then it came running right over by him he said i could have reached out and touched it It was so close he said but it didn't act like it even cared that i was there then the the creature screamed again from inside the tree line the deer bolted the creature came out of the tree line saw this guy and made a dead run at him and and he says i don't know why i didn't run i think i was in shock because he just stood there and and it called the creature's bluff it was a mock charge like gorillas do and it stopped about ten feet from him they looked at each other for a bit then it, he said it kind of got a bored look on his face and walked off into the woods
2: huh the boredom I don't think that was mutual though was it
1: no i I think he was a little bit <laughs> beside himself it was probably the uh, proverbial underwear changing moment i can I can vouch for that <laughs>
0: So yeah, I, I have never seen a deer. Uh, just, I was on my porch. It was like three in the morning. It was beautiful out, and this thing's just walking towards me, looking at me, not a care in the world, and walked right into my yard, plopped down. I thought, huh, that's bizarre. I don't know where it came from because it yeah, should, shouldn't have be have... sleeping high.
2: <laughs> yeah, it made it feel like it was on the menu.
0: Yeah, maybe something right. Something was chasing it. That's okay. Yeah, no, that's so they the airflow which would be carrying a scent factors into where these guys spend the night. So I'm assuming they don't have a home. Like this is no, where I sleep, no, they, I leave come back.
1: They, right. They change your spots.
0: Okay. But they're they're cognizant of the fact that their scent. Travels at certain times at certain
1: directions. Apparently, they are because that's that's how they operate. Wow,
0: that's that's a level of intelligence. And there's
1: been occasions you know, like the Bob Titman story where the creatures, and we've interviewed a few people that have seen this, where the creatures will actually kind of lift their nose the and ear and sniff. Huh. And even though they have a flat nose, you know, it's designed somewhat like ours, a little if it's flatter, of course, but, um, and here's the thing, you know, I, I remember, you know, my coursework at WSU, they talked about, everybody always says, you know, well, dogs, the dog sense of smell is so much better than humans. It is because they have an elongated snout with a lot of, uh, nerve receptors that line that and they can pick up minute particles. The big difference is the human brain can identify over 50,000 different scents and a dog might do a dozen. Oh, okay. So the dog's nose might be superior, but if you don't have the hardware that goes with that, it's not much use. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So, and I was, I was, a, uh, a cavalry scout in the army reconnaissance specialist. So, you know, my job was working at night mostly and, and, and you have to acclimate yourself, you know, before you go on patrols and things. Right. Tonight and and smells and things like that. So you know you your senses do pick up quite a bit once you're acclimated. You know we can even we can smell and hear things that we wouldn't normally because we're so we're blasted with so much stimulus in our own environment that we created. You smell people. Yeah, exactly. So if you get away from all that, then you start. You know those things pick up, and I think these guys are probably pretty well attuned. Uh, even though they don't have you know a nose like a, a dog. Let's say they're still going to be able to pick up things that we wouldn't normally
3: Okay
0: Wonder if they can pick up the odor.
1: Yeah, well I like can like in the case of this guy Bob Titmus, He was a Bigfoot researcher, you know back in the 60s 50s and 60s and I, I knew Bob and uh, there was a story that he told Larry Batson about he was in the Bluff Creek area a few years before Patterson got his film in that rut close to that same spot as a matter of fact and uh, he got he got himself out there too late where he felt that you know night was falling he felt that he'd you know get injured if he tried making his way back to his vehicle so he decided to hunker down for the night so he in a small uh, uh, depression he, he laid down and he covered himself with leaves all but his face and he went to sleep and he figured it around he thought it was around one o'clock in the morning and he heard this noise and apparently it was this creature and it was the actual one that was filmed a few years later he found out by the footprints later but uh the thing was he could hear it sniffing the air it knew he was there but it couldn't find him it couldn't see him and it got really ticked off and destroyed the area Personally, I can't imagine laying in a hole covered up with leaves while one of these things was close by oh, destroying oh. the area and screaming and
0: all this stuff. How close by was it?
1: Uh, you know, I don't know if he. I don't think he mentioned, but it was pretty close by the sounds of it. The way he described the too, story. Right, exactly. Too close. Too close, way too close. He said it looked like a freight train had gone through the brush the next day.
0: Yeah, that's poor guy. How do you, wow. What's <laughs> going through your mind as you're laying there in a pile of leaves? You would have thing. found
1: me because I would have cracked myself and I would have honed right in on the odor.
0: <laughs> I probably would have just screamed out loud and, did the <laughs> and just ran through the wood. <laughs> Feeling my clothes off, I don't oh know why. I, I would have lost my, that, that's, that's horrible. I can't imagine that.
1: I knew we'd laugh, but jeez, about a
0: test of uh, metal, huh?
1: Oh yeah, gosh, can you imagine?
0: No, I like to, you know, and I've been in some (laughs) precarious situations in combat, but I can tell you, you I it's nothing. That's it just wouldn't compare.
1: (laughs) You know, not the same. We we've had a few combat vets on the show and who've encountered these things, and they've all said the same thing that running into one of these things paled their combat experience and, and I thought wow that's I, I never had to go to combat I was out of the army before you know we got into any, any battles of any kind but uh I, I, I you know run into these things and I can see what they mean by that because it's uh it puts you on a footing like I mean I don't even know how to explain it other than um, you realize real quick that you're not the top of the food chain.
0: Yes, you do. You feel like you're running point all the time. Yeah, yeah. That makes, sense. at least I do. Because um, you never, and you you could probably attest to this. I don't think it takes combat, but especially in combat, I you you know when you're being watched,
3: observed, or, oh, sure. or looked at. Sure, you feel it. Yeah,
0: absolutely, and feel it. And I know that feeling very well because that's the only reason I'm talking to you guys in one piece alive is because that, that film's got me home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that feeling, I never questioned it.
1: Right. It's
0: already proven itself. And I will get that occasionally in certain places. I know I, I'm being watched. I don't know from where you don't see your hair or anything, but you know you are. Absolutely. Well, yeah. There's no doubt about that one. So these guys are watching, I think, a lot more than people realize.
1: They do. We had one witness. What else? Are they oh, go ahead. I'm sorry.
0: Well, you think they'd get bored, you know? Well, I mean, maybe we're entertained. I don't know.
1: Live out in the woods, you you don't have TV, so I mean, you got to have some entertainment, right?
0: Let's <laughs> see what those hairless monkeys are doing.
1: Yeah, they're entertaining.
0: One way to put it, <laughs> but yeah, you um, you know when these guys are around, there's no doubt about it. And you don't have to see or hear anything; you you, I, you just know it. You can feel it, it's palpable. Right, absolutely. Well, I, I it's I haven't been here long enough to uh, observe patterns. I said about the house in August but we're coming up now on the summer and uh, hopefully over time I'll be able to observe things and put the pieces together and say ah, ah I get it I've right. already done that quite a bit. What, month
1: this, what month was it this what month was it the stuff was happening
0: was August and September
1: okay and that's also the highest time of the year of activity for these creatures late summer late summer really? and fall So you definitely want to keep your eyes and ears open around that time period.
0: Late summer, early fall? Yeah. Okay, yeah, that's when all this was happening. And then it stopped in
1: October. Yeah, they probably moved on. You think they moved to another uh, area of the range? Yeah, they they kind of rotate their feeding areas. I mean, I'm sure once (laughs) the uh, game animals get wise to their presence, they leave the area, so...
0: Now, what if when they circle back around to do whatever they do, is there maybe uh, they wouldn't come back here again? Maybe they would go... They don't always come
1: back to the exact same place. They'll come back to the same area, but they sometimes they'll shift those places around. I mean, they might be a mile away or, you know, whatever right. it is. Okay, but not
0: that it's not right on top of it again. It could be very close. But, but now not they
1: might, right. because the ones in your part of the country might be a little bit different. I, I don't really know for sure. Okay.
0: And are those type fours, from what I gather? Yeah. Okay. And that, this is exactly why I'm glad I <clears throat> we're having the conversation, because it's fascinating, the one, twos, and threes, the whole subject is, but I'm more concerned with what am I going to run into and trying to figure out their behaviors and yeah. tendencies of the one I have a higher chance of running into. Exactly. Right. So we just don't know really probably that much about these things, period.
1: Not a whole but lot. No.
0: Of them, we would know even less of the fours.
1: Is that fair? Yes. Okay. Right.
2: You know, I got a quick question. Um, well, what do you think about if, if you want to, as a as a deterrent, place infrared cameras around your house, so you got a three sixty degree coverage, and that way you might you might benefit. You might get something on the cam, or you might benefit because you're gonna keep them away and deter them from getting too close.
1: Yeah, it will work because, well, first of all, they can see the infrared light,
2: so that would deter them. Yeah. Yeah, I think that might not be about it. If you're interested, that might not be a bad idea to augment cleaning out the area, you know, the the brush and trees from around your house. Um, okay. Yeah. And, and again, it might just act as uh, not only a deterrent, but who knows? You might get fortunate, get, get them on camera. So, well, listen, uh, Michael, we got to stay in touch. And you may get a, you may be getting more activity i'd say it but you might be getting some more towards uh summer or into summer uh, and we want you to keep in touch with us let it keep us updated if uh, if you get anything new going on
1: yeah and we'll send, do i'll send you some stuff too yeah
0: i would appreciate that will just maybe some um, things to look for you know
1: yeah absolutely stay safe Yep, absolutely.
0: That'd be great. I'll, I'll stay in touch, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you for your time.
1: Awesome. Thank
2: you, yeah. Michael. Yeah, stay on for just a second. We're going to wrap up at this point. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening.
1: In Bigfoot history, near Buttedale, British Columbia, July 1965, Jack Taylor, Butte Dale told Bob Titmuss that he had gone fishing close to the mainland shore opposite Dale, where he saw several huge two-legged creatures, two on a rocky island, one swimming towards it from the shore, and he thought a couple more walking down the beach. The closest was about 75 yards away. He stopped when he noticed them and had trouble getting his outboard motor going. Since the one swimming out from the shore was coming rapidly in his direction, he got pretty excited about not being able to get a start but finally got it going and took off. The creatures were very heavily built and covered with dark hair. The one in the water swam very powerfully and very fast, with the water surging around his chest. Bob also talked to the man's fishing partner, who was late that day and was going out in his own boat when his friend roared past him with no sign of recognition. We're back from the break. Before we get started on the questions and discussion, I want to bring up something. Um, And it really highlights uh, people in the Bigfoot community who think they know what they're doing and really don't. And this has to do with the recent, um, I saw this posted last this past week. And it's uh, from the uh, Expedition Bigfoot show. And, And I try not to pick on people, but this one really stands out. As as grasping at straws, because what they were doing, and Forrest, correct me if I'm wrong, they were taking primate pheromones and spraying them over an area with a drone. Now, to me, if you're introducing pheromones from primates that originate in Africa or South America, how do primates in North America, that's never had any contact with those species, how would they even know what that was?
4: Well, you and I kind of briefly uh, discussed that, but uh, I, I can't imagine that they would react to it. Uh, I, I've watched several programs where they even take pheromones from humans, and uh, um, <laughs> and I, I'm like, okay, maybe they might, maybe they won't, but more than likely they're not because, I mean, uh, such scenting as pheromones is pretty much specific to each. Individual species, species. right? Yeah. <laughs> so I can't imagine uh, they might be interested in the smell, you know, like, hmm, this smells interesting. Uh, I can't imagine because I don't know if anybody's ever smelled those things. If you two have ever smelled them, they're just flat nasty. And uh, you don't want to get them on you because, man, it takes forever to get them off. Uh, then you'd have every chimpanzee in 48 states floating around. But anyway, uh, male. Excuse me, male.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it brings it brings up a it brings up an old story that Renee DeHendon used to tell, and he used to get the biggest laugh out of telling his own story. And and it's this is sort of a reminds me of a or makes me think of a modern version of that story. Now he this was when he he had a really there was a lot of animosity between you know DeHendon and John Green and and Bob Titmus. They just you know were at each other's throats. It seemed like all the time. So Renee caught wind of an idea that titmus and green had about taking um used feminine napkins and hanging them in trees and, oh my God. and renee oh. renee would just get into tears laughing when he would tell this he said he says can you and he had that accent right because he was swiss he says can you imagine those two skulking around um a gas station Bathrooms, you know the women's bathrooms. You know, Green would be the lookout, and, and here's little Titmouse going in and stealing the the used uh, garments.
4: <laughs> oh no! And he and he
1: would just be in tears, laughing about such a ridiculous thing. But to me, this is just a, a modern version of that. It's a it's a shotgun approach. I mean, I guess you can't fault people for trying things, but if you don't know what you're doing, but you're telling everybody you know what you're doing. Uh, this is really a big way to demonstrate that you don't know what you're talking about.
4: Well, and it's like I told you, I uh, said, so can you imagine if it did work? You've got a bunch of guys camping out there in the woods, and they've sprayed the forest down with all these pheromones. Okay, now, now you're dealing with a bunch of alpha and beta males in the Bigfoot community that are sexually aroused. <laughs> so I don't think I would... I, that is not a picture that I want to even imagine. <laughs> we we have
1: a friend who says, Two sticks of dynamite in that case.
4: <laughs> oh, God. He's going to guns. Oh, heaven. <laughs> Isn't
1: that right, Tom?
4: Oh, <laughs> well, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. Moving you know, right Going along. to dynamite. Going <laughs> <on the> dynamite. <laughs> okay, enough of that silliness.
3: Okay. <laughs>
4: what what do we got for the morning (laughs)
1: yeah
2: (laughs) what do we got for questions tom all right excellent questions and we appreciate it just keep them coming um some of the questions are a bit lengthy so i have to kind of go through and parse out what the question is so if you send us questions um maybe try and distill it down into just the question and then below you can put in the background information so we understand sometimes people put that in just to sort of um, sort of paint the picture so you, you get where they're coming from with the with the question but um, that'd be a great way for us to get to it very quickly. Just put your question in and then if you need to put in an explanation below but this one is um, and that, that's not what this is. Um, somebody wants to know, what's the best way to stop gifting sasquatch uh some say if you stop doing it bad things are going to happen sort of like revenge killing you know livestock and such uh so Susanna wants to know what would you tell people who would like to stop and be safe after all is there a well way to tell these ape apes the game's over in a polite manner
1: well, I think we talked about this before, but it depends on the location. If it's going on around their home, then you got a problem. If it's out someplace where it's away from, you know, your home or wherever you frequent, you could you could stop that immediately and just don't go back there. If it's around your home, then you got to take other measures. And I don't think Let there me, is um, a polite way to
2: handle that. Yeah, no, I don't think there is. I'm curious. Uh, we may uh, not know, but we can certainly speculate. If you are doing it out in the forest somewhere, uh, or, or some remote area, I I would imagine that if you you suddenly stop, there's a chance you may be endangering other people who are not who have no idea what's going on, or yourself next time you go back to <clears throat> excuse me back to that area without without the gifts.
1: Well, that's why I said, don't go back there. Uh, they're going to, they're going to know the individuals that are bringing stuff. So other yes. people, you know, I don't think are part of the equation. Uh, they're going to be angry at the person who was doing it. So that's what I said. Uh, don't, you know, quit doing it. Don't go back there.
2: Yeah. Good, good point. Forrest, have you run into anything like this with, uh, I don't know, with chimps or other primates?
4: No, cause I don't think, um, um, uh... I don't know of any researchers that made a habit of gifting to gorillas or chimpanzees. Now, I mean, if you watch some of the uh, YouTube stuff with uh, macaques, uh, which, uh, you know, large groups of macaques hang out at the temples. And so um, uh, both Japanese and Chinese and um, Cambodian, Vietnam, all of them same situation, they hang out around the temples they have for centuries so these troops are used to it. And people have habituated them with feeding them constantly. And they do, I mean, they will get uh, aggressive sometimes with people wanting food and demanding food. And then they they get uh, tamed down. And then you've got situations where then the government comes in because one of them walked up and bit a tourist. And, you know, macaques carry the, the deadly, and it is deadly, uh, the herpes virus B. And it is deadly to humans, doesn't affect macaques at all. Uh, they don't all carry it. And, uh, usually people in the United States with pet macaques have them tested. And, um, but you know, it's something that, that I can't imagine is in relationship to Bigfoot. Why would you even want to start it? You know, um, is my thought process. So, um, I, you know, giving them food and, and bring them in, uh, you know, my personal opinion is, you know, don't start it in the first place. And I, th- I totally agree with, uh, um, uh, will, you know, primates are very good at recognition. I mean, uh, chimpanzees, gorillas recognize individual humans. And, um, I think they're, they're, uh, they're more acute at that than, than we are in some ways, because, you know, it, uh, Uh, we don't recognize uh, humans very well of other races, and that goes for black on white and white on black and, uh, you know, all the other races as well. Um, And it seems that chimps and gorillas and uh, most apes are better at that than we are. So, um, you know, they could recognize somebody readily. And I I think I would be fearful for other people Uh, as well going in that area because you get a pissed off uh, Bigfoot because I've been getting food from uh, humans. Okay, well the other humans not coming now. Why aren't these humans giving me food? So it's just not something that I think is safe to even get started at all.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And I, you know, I think people mistakenly think, oh, they're, you know, they're not harmful. you, You wouldn't do it to a grizzly bear. You know, to go out and and feed them to keep them coming around. So why would you do it to some other wild creature?
2: No, exactly. And will and and for us, both of you have used the term anthropomorphizing. Yes. Um, I think people try to do that with these creatures, trying to see them and make them as human. So, oh my gosh, this thing's going to be appreciative of what I'm doing. It's going to be grateful. I don't think so. I think it's a different species, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, it's associating you or people with food. uh, And now you come out, and you don't have the food. Well, you do. You just (laughs) you're the food. (laughs) Well,
4: you become the food. I think. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You can't. You can't put,
1: you know, human attributes on a non-human species. It's just not a. Yeah, but you
4: know what. Humans have been doing that, Will, for thousands of years. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have been doing that for thousands of years. Once right. we domesticated cats, dogs, and everything else, we started anthropomorphizing uh, animals. And I mean, we do it now. Tom and I do it with our cat. Oh, so, sure. sure. Um, you know, but a cat is far different than uh, a primate. Uh, they don't have the same cognitive abilities as a primate. And so, you know, you're just, you're, you're just putting yourself in a bad situation
2: there. Yeah, I agree. Well, and exactly. You know, you see these people uh, in Russia that have pet mountain lions in their house. <laughs> and I don't know what their food bill is, but it's it must be immense. They, they have to see, feed this thing an inordinate amount of raw meat every day. Well,
1: people used to do that. I mean, my, my mother's uh, uncle's or one of our uncles used to have a couple lions from Africa and when they got to the size where they couldn't control them anymore they had to give them to a zoo and i used to think why would you even take that
2: chance right sleeping at night you know how how are you going to sleep soundly knowing that there's a lion or mountain lion in the house right and they had two of them
4: <laughs> oh my <clears throat> oh my well, and there is a case of, uh, not to get sidetracked here, but there is a case of a woman, and I don't even remember now what state she lived in. I think it was out in California or somewhere in there that did keep uh, African lions, and uh, she got to where she was uh, not being able to feed them as much as she had, and people kept telling her, why don't you just donate them? And, oh, they're my babies. I can't do that. Well, you know, uh, they're carnivores, too. They right. might be your babies, but when they get hungry, <laughs> and unfortunately they attacked her and ate her. Well, and then they put the put the lion down that did it. Well, he was doing it out of hunger. I right, mean, right. It, it. You know, and I, I really felt I felt sorrier for the lion than I did for her because she she had an out on uh, of her situation. The lion didn't. So, um, you know. Anyway, that's my opinion.
1: <laughs> no, but there's lots of examples like that, people doing stuff like that. So I think the same thought process is going into this, you know, gifting or feeding
2: these creatures. Oh, exactly. Yeah. And I think so maybe just some people... So don't, yeah, don't, don't start, start it. Don't start it. I think some people also do it so that they can hopefully get a, uh, you know, get them habituated to the point where "Ah, I can get a picture of it or I can see it or whatever. Well, it's, it's delusional too,
1: it's delusional too, where they think they're communicating with the creature and, and the creature is not communicating with them. If they're doing anything, it's, it's communication with the others of their kind, maybe about this person or people.
2: Yeah. I don't think I just, in my heart of hearts, I don't believe ever that the creature warms up to the human and says, oh, that's a, that's a good person. <laughs>
4: well, well, we've got plenty of examples of, uh, chimpanzees that, uh, that have, uh, been pets. And for years, I mean, you know, when you take on a primate as a pet, you're looking at a 30, 40, 50, uh, maybe 60 year old animal, uh, and so sometimes they can even outlive you. So uh, that's a, that is a very significant responsibility. Well, yes, but we have plenty of examples of these uh, primates that just absolutely go berserk one day and uh, uh, either do it to their owners or do it to other people that, you know, they perceive as, uh, you know, primates get jealous just like we do. And the only thing is, they most generally act out on it. And, uh, you know, you're not going to be able to stop a, a 200 pound chimpanzee, and it's going to rip its face off. And there's plenty of people up there that they can look them up, and you can see what damages they've done to humans. So we're talking about something that was a loving pet that becomes this monster. And you know what? It's a monster of our creation
1: yeah primates are pretty temperamental and and these creatures are no exception in fact uh, if you look at the, a lot of the cases throughout history you know they clearly demonstrate that they're extremely temperamental and and they hold grudges so you you see what a 200 pound chimp can do think about what an eight or 800 or a thousand pound sasquatch might do if it just if it feels slighted and goes off <laughs> I wouldn't even want to imagine. Not a good outcome.
2: No. Tom, what do we else do we have? All right, got another question here. It says, Hey guys, uh, generally two similar species or subspecies don't inhabit the same area without conflict until one of the species is removed by force. This would suggest that the presence of more than one Bigfoot types spotted persistently in a given region means that this subspecies they have a significantly different food and behavioral adaptations for survival would this help them not completely directly uh okay this would help them not completely or not compete excuse me rephrase that this would help them not compete directly do you agree with that What might those differences be between the types?
4: Uh,
1: What do you think, Forrest?
4: Well, I would imagine it would be much the same as uh, with, if I'm I'm understanding the question that they're asking here correctly, would be like the situation we have right now and. Africa with gorillas and uh, chimpanzees because obviously we don't have a group of uh, two different groups or subgroups of uh, Bigfoot to observe. Nobody's out there watching them, so the only thing you can do is relate it to a comparison of gorillas and chimpanzees, where they they are literally in in warring over in Africa because. What has happened is the resources, food resources, have been stretched to um, nil. And a lot of it is caused by human intervention. And um, so, and then, you know, these groups get into battles and they start killing each other. And um, so I would assume that it would probably be the the same situation. Now, I mean, you can take chimpanzee groups that... uh, overlap with other chimpanzee groups and they will, they will breed and, uh, you know, uh, interact, um, you know, not the bonobos and the traditional pan troglodytes, but which is your traditional, um, chimpanzee. But, you know, you get the, the same chimpanzee species, they'll interbreed and, and interact. But even that, those chimpanzees, once that there's, there's stress involved, they start fighting. So it's just a primate thing
1: something I, I would interject the only the only story I'm familiar with is when we interviewed Tammy and James in Alabama and they had an ongoing situation there on their property and and there were two different variations of these creatures present and and I, I've told this many times before but the way it was described was they saw the one individual and and this was the larger type like we see in the Patterson film but of course it's the the second type they have there with the canines uh, and it apparently was sitting down or whatever in, in kind of somewhat of a concealed position, I guess I don't know what it was doing, but uh, they watched it and they could see it fairly clearly you know, it wasn't that far away, you know the, the face and its expressions and Three of these other individuals and they were they were very different in description. They were uh, much thinner kind of scrawnier looking but very different in appearance than this other individual and mm-hmm the first one when it when it saw the three approaching they said it got a very disgusted look on its face and the other three when they realized this first one was there they made a hasty about face and left the area quickly so apparently there may not be open friction but uh, at least those two variants didn't seem to want to be in uh, you know in the same area together
2: yeah but do we see well- parallels in the uh, human population
1: oh sure i I mean well (laughs) that was tongue in cheek and right now they don't seem to be competing for food a whole bunch these different variations so if they're and they do overlap their their ranges but uh, as long as there's plenty of food and resources i don't i wouldn't imagine they'd have any conflicts other than not wanting to be you know close to one another yeah good point you know if that's the model
4: Yeah, and that's the only uh, occurrence that I've ever heard of that, when uh, you interviewed those people and they talked about that. That was the first time I'd ever heard that.
1: Yeah, it's something It's not... Uh,
4: You know, and it's not to say it hasn't happened before, but that's the first time it's uh, been observed, I suppose.
1: Right, or at least talked about. Um, The only other situation I can think of was where, and I can't remember which interview that was, but there were some people who, they didn't see the creatures, but they heard all the vocals. Uh, And apparently two different groups came into contact with one another and there was all, it was almost like uh, chimpanzees where, you know, the, the sub individuals, you know, the alpha wasn't involved in either group, but there was a lot of interaction vocals between the two groups until the dominant alpha basically stepped in, screamed or whatever. The rest of them all, both groups went silent. They passed each other without incident.
2: That's exactly, I, I, was, I remember that story. I was thinking of yeah. that um and it, it kind of it's actually amusing the the alpha comes out he roars the dominant alpha it wasn't both alphas yeah so one of them was dominant over the other one and that was it discussion was, was done it. everybody shut your mouth we're move, done move on <laughs>
1: yeah move on <laughs> i
2: think that was that was lee i thought that
1: had that no, story i could I be wrong i don't think so it not
2: came it from wasn't a, him it came from a witness okay um Well, Well, and that is uh,
4: just to interject something there, uh, you know, when you said the alpha and they, you know, that is a very typical primate, again, that you'll have one ruling alpha and then you'll have uh, um, and there'll be betas underneath them. And um, he has his own little minion group that uh, follow him around and uh, uh, enforce the rules of the Mm -hmm. uh, the troop. And, uh, so that is very, very typical, uh, you know, you know, he'll come in and assert his authority and say, this is the way it's going to be. And he gets backed up most generally real yeah. quick.
1: Yeah, And I'm sure it's the same way yeah. with these creatures.
4: Yeah. Because they want, they want to be favored by the alpha. They don't want him, uh, beating them up and attacking them and everything else. So they curry favor with the, with the alpha.
3: Right. You know, Absolutely. whether it might
4: be by grooming or following him around and, and, and forcing his, uh, dictates uh
2: or or whatever
1: right absolutely
2: of course that's an interesting um concept i hadn't i didn't realize that that you actually have these like you said the betas which will support the alpha so you've got actually this almost a military hierarchy here well a very yeah, it's, structured it's
4: very human like, yeah, it's very structured. Yes, they're very structured. The troops are there is a, a very uh very um structured hierarchy within the troops and uh you don't cross it. I mean it can it can actually mean death.
1: And with the Sasquatch it does. If if um my information is that when they if the sub males get out of line, the alpha will kill them.
4: Yeah. Mhm. Yeah. I actually watched a researcher film an instance where they just and I don't even know what the uh the problem was or what had occurred but the alpha just went on a rage and the uh, and he attacked this one male and then all of a sudden the whole entire group did and they were beating him with their uh fist and you know they don't they beat with the back of their hands. They don't beat with a, a fist like what we do. And uh, beating him with sticks until they had literally beat this chimpanzee to death.
1: And Sasquatch does the same thing. When when people have been assaulted, they do it with the back of their hands. hmm
4: Yeah. And I, I I think I've talked to you before about the slow and quick twitch muscles on apes. Uh, uh, right. is entirely different from, from ours. And when they... When they deliver a blow, they cannot control the speed or the uh, uh, power of that blow like we can. And uh, it has all to do with their their sw- uh, their slow and quick twitch of their muscles and how their muscles are attached to their bones. So it's an all and, or nothing kind uh, of thing. Yeah, it's, it's an all or nothing. And, I mean, you get hit by uh, chimpanzees, they can crush your skull just like that. And I think we've seen evidence of that with Bigfoot
2: as well.
1: Yes, we have. Tom, what else do we have?
2: Okay, so we have uh, actually a handful of really good questions here. And somebody sent in a few of them for the weekly Q&A. There's reports of juvenile Bigfoot hiding in trees, which seems plausible. And there's that video in, I believe it was in upstate New York, with one jumping around in a tree. Um. And the question here is, do you believe that a full-grown 1,000-pound Bigfoot could ever climb trees, larger trees, and hide or sleep in them, use them as lookouts high above, and uh, perhaps use them as places to pounce on prey from above? Uh, And then what percent of the time do you think adults would spend hiding or resting in trees? Depends on the tree, I suppose,
1: you know, and how, it, but you've got to think about energy and how much energy they expend. You know, it goes back to that basic survival equation. You have to have more caloric intake than expenditure to survive. So is it worth expending the kind of energy to do that with a large in, a, adult, uh, as opposed to doing some other behavior, you know, getting the same yeah. results?
2: Yeah, it would have to be a uh, substantial tree. I know, I, out here on the west coast, we have, you know, the old growth dug firs that they would certainly uh, support it. a huge animal up in them. And then, and then, Will, you're in Northern California. You've got the uh, Humboldt County. Yeah, you got those red redwoods and the sequoias. So, who knows? Well, then you have to look well, at witness I mean, reports. At, you know, where where
1: uh, are they being seen? I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, where where are they being seen? <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: well, good
2: point.
4: You've got, I mean, you've got gorillas that are uh, seven, eight hundred, nine hundred pound gorillas that make uh, beds every night in trees. Mm-hmm. So in uh, Africa. So uh, yes, I think it's. Uh, we can presume that even adult Bigfoot can very readily and easily. Uh, and I think there's been sightings of people saying that they had them jump down out of a uh, full grown ones, jump down out of trees, you know? So for them to climb up and use it as a, a lookout point or even uh, be sleeping on a, a, a bow of a tree, <clears throat> I think it's pl- perfectly plausible.
2: You know, <laughs> think about it. You have one of those things jump out of a tree at you. I mean, that's better than a cup of coffee for getting you wide awake instantly. <laughs> oh,
3: yeah.
1: Yeah, that would that would definitely exactly. be that would be a, a a top underwear changing moment for certain.
2: Here's a here's a kind of a follow up on that. There's a story of a woman who went missing. She was found in a tree unconscious. Uh, she had no claw marks on her, so it wasn't a big cat. And again, uh, Will, you and know, I have talked about this when you find you know the deer that are up in the trees and other animals. It's not a mountain lion, no, because they don't they they don't do that. They don't have the jaw strength. You know, it's just not their behavior. Um, and, so, and there's people people that will resist that idea.
1: But if you if you think it's possible for a mountain lion to do that, go to any state uh, fish and wildlife site and look at her. Look at what experts who've studied these big cats do, and you'll find universally they don't. They bury their uh, kills in shallow graves, like bear do.
2: Yeah, and and we've seen that. We've seen plenty of pictures of you know hikers that are hiking along, and they I don't know if they got off trail or whatever, but they find a partially consumed deer, mm-hmm. you know, covered in leaves and sticks. And that's the point when you leave. Yeah, they don't <laughs>
1: they don't drag their kills anywhere. They'll eat their fill right there, then they'll cover them with a light, you know, covering, then they'll come back periodically and feed off it.
2: Yeah. And if there's more food staring at their food, not a good thing. Right. Okay. Um, What do you know about Bigfoot knuckle walking? I've heard that they can do this very effectively. Any idea how fast they can move this way or how or when they would do this sounds very spider-like and very creepy well
1: it's, i don't think it's spider-like i mean people have used that term for a few years and it kind of kind of drives me crazy because it's not really what they're doing i mean you wouldn't you wouldn't describe a chimp or a gorilla moving spider-like but i've, I've, I've
4: never seen any any videos of uh you know when they talk about these uh, bigfoot getting down on their fingertips or something such and moving down real close on the ground. I'm not saying that they don't do that because I've never seen it, but you do have people saying that, and then they refer to that as spider-like. I've never seen any other primate uh, do or act like that. Your uh, true knuckle walkers uh, are gorillas and chimpanzees. You get your uh, lower order monkeys, they all walk on the flat of their palms. hmm
1: I've actually, we've had a few witnesses who talked about them, you know, being seen, you know, moving low on the ground and that could very well be if they're sneaking up on game. Um, I could see that instance of doing that, but typically, you know, when we, we hear about people seeing them moving on all fours, you know, it's, it's more like a chimp except they're, um, you see the back, the their back is horizontal with the ground. You know, it's not, um, it's more um, quadrupedal-ish, I would say, and um, and I've told people, you know, if you've seen them like that, you find tracks. Watch for these hand markings in accordance with the the foot, the the feet as well, and we're starting to see some of that because people Good are looking point. for well, it we, now.
2: Yeah, well, we just had Vicky on from Wisconsin. Yeah, and she saw that, and we have a one of the guys that has been on our show in the past, somebody I know who. <laughs> saw it going across the road, and and at the time he thought it was just, uh, uh, you know, in his words, an ugly ass ape, <laughs> or uh, excuse me, well, ugly ass elk is what he thought. Right. He had no idea, but
1: and the other part is that the, is they move very quickly on all fours.
2: That was the question. This person wanted to know how fast can they move, as a quadruped. Well, I got to go back to the story,
1: uh, you know, from Texas, uh, from Odessa, the two uh, canine officers in the sheriff's department there. And this was a number of years back, but, uh, <clears throat> the story was the two officers were in two different patrol vehicles. They had they each had a dog because they were, you know, canine units and they were heading to a different town that had some, some call that they were on. And, um, one was a, a, a Lieutenant. The other was a Sergeant. So they were people in authority. And I believe it was the Lieutenant was in the first vehicle and this creature came running out. And this was at night. So he saw it in the headlight and it came diagonally from his right towards the vehicle and paced him for a very short time. It was on all fours. Both dogs went absolutely crazy in the vehicles and, uh, and then it veered off. But, and he, I, I don't know, you know, he may not have been looking at the speedometer. He thought he was doing about 80, but I don't think he was going quite that fast, but, uh, the creature raced across the open area on all fours, paced him for a moment or two and then veered off. So if that gives you any idea of how much, how fast it can move on all fours, that's pretty incredible.
2: Now I yeah, you didn't can realize go- it was on all fours. Yeah, it was on all fours. Wow.
4: Yeah. You can Google uh um, out there chimpanzees quadrupedally running and they are quite quite quick. I was gonna say I don't they're, they're pretty fast. Yes, they are. And I don't know if anybody's ever actually clocked them, but, uh, you know, I would think that they're moving at least 35 miles an hour or more. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I have seen those things just absolutely, you know, uh, and now how long they can sustain that, I don't know. I mean, you know, they're not like a horse running. I mean, the Cheetah King what, it has been clocked up to 75 miles an hour, but they can't sustain that speed right. for any length of time.
1: And I wouldn't think so, these things would sustain it a long time either, but. That's, I'm I'm sure they can move pretty fast. Oh, yeah. We know from, it was Lee who was on the show, he clocked one. It was on two legs running, but he clocked it at 45 miles an hour. And that was based on the time it took to go from one known object to another one. Um, You know, and he knew the distance, so he was able to calculate it was running at 45 miles an hour.
4: And that's a standard speed for uh, thoroughbred racehorse.
1: Yeah. So it's pretty pretty amazing, but they're, you know, these creatures are much better designed than we are.
2: You know, I've seen the videos of gibbons, which, you know, I guess they're one of the lesser apes, but they, I mean, they're super fast on all fours, but it's, the way they run, it's it's kind of a up and down, up and down, you know, they're they're on all fours, and they on twos, and all fours, and on twos. Um, Forrest, do you, you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen that with the gibbons? They just zip along like that
4: uh yeah they they actually uh, can one r- heavens to bed can't talk can run uh very, fairly rapidly uh bipedally uh they have extremely long arms and that's why you'll see them with their arms up in the air they're very they're true brachiators they're the ones that you're will swing from uh so gracefully from uh tree to tree uh so they're very much true brachiators um uh they can run, run very quickly on their hind legs, but they always usually run with their hands up in the air, Um, not so much quadrupedally too often because their uh, length of arm is uh, greater than their length of leg. It makes it kind of hard for them.
2: Yeah, I, I, I got to say, I just find them fascinating. I've, I've watched them. Um, they got a... Um, Kind of a uh, primate place here in Oregon. You can go look at all the, you know, howler monkeys and gibbons and stuff, and they're fun to watch. Really interesting.
4: Yeah, they're comical characters. They really are.
2: Good way to put it. Yes. <laughs> Unlike our other topic, they're not so comical. <laughs> yeah, okay.
4: tend to throw things at you that you don't like.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, you know,
1: (laughs) I waited for the longest time because, you know, we talked about other primates throwing their feces at people. And I kept thinking, you know, somewhere, somebody's going to make a report where these things did that. And sure enough, we had somebody on the show. uh, You remember that, Tom, that one of these creatures actually threw its feces at him and hit him?
2: Yes, yes, that's that's just wrong. And and he said it was rather painful
1: by the force that it hit him with.
2: Yes. Oh gosh,
4: and the size I would imagine too wouldn't help.
1: <laughs> oh no, and, and we, have, we have pictures of that. It's fairly large, so. <laughs> and, and both in size and quantity. So, um, but I, I just thought, you know, that's it. F- another behavior that fits in with other primates. It's not unlike any other primates that do these
2: things. It's it's just wrong on all fronts. <laughs> Not something I'd well, I don't want to hit with. Thank you very much. <laughs>
4: well, I, I started to say that humans don't make a habit of doing that, which they don't make a habit of doing that. But and they the they have been known in prisons to um, do that. Oh so, yeah, you know, I, I know
1: a number of police get, officers who talk about that in jails and prisons where inmates will yeah, do that. They'll actually see that a save primate
4: is a primate is a primate. Right,
1: exactly. <laughs> What else do we have, Tom?
2: Okay. Um, so this is from another listener. It says, I recently listened to some of your Creek Devil episodes, and I really appreciate your approach to the uh, to the research topics discussed. Um, the, the question here is, they want to know if an area's of Bonnie Lake, and I think that's up in your, yep. where you used to live. Uh, I know the it? area very well. Yeah, um, and this person lists, you know, Puyallup and uh, the Puyallup Screamer mm-hmm. and all that. Um, there's multiple affiliations attached to Fort Lewis. I've had numerous disconcerting experiences over the years, but have been able to find answers. Yeah. Um, well, what what is your thoughts on that general region? Because I think that's kind of close to where you, it's not that far from where you grew up as a kid, oh, yeah. right?
1: It was close. Well, you know, number one, nowadays it's, it's heavily populated. So even where I grew up, there's, you know, housing uh, complexes have been built out there. I mean, the farms are going away quickly because people want to live out there. So, these days, I don't think there's much there, but, you know, back in the 70s, certainly. Uh, now, you get out by Fort Lewis. Fort Lewis is, landmass-wise, uh, the third largest base the U.S. has, unless that's changed since, um, you know, I was in the service. But, I think, the land, I think I don't think the landmass has changed a whole lot. I mean, they, they purchased those areas and are pretty much the same as they've been for, you know, many decades. But... Uh, It is a lot of training area, especially out towards the east towards the town of Roy and that area is virtually untouched. Uh, You know, the the troops train out there, but uh, it's still a big, big area, big forested area. It's not changed a whole bunch and the creatures still have, um, you know, for many, many years, they still have access to those areas. There's still a lot of deer and things out there. So uh, yeah, they're still active in those areas.
2: So a question about fort lewis um would it be the entire circumference be fenced off with uh, large fences or no how okay so how would somebody know i mean obviously the bigfoot could care less but if a person's walking along i'm assuming there'd be signs that you're about to you know no trespassing well what they have is
1: is a little barbed wire fence that goes around the perimeter and you see a sign every so often that says, you know, military reservation or something to that effect. You don't know no trespassing. Um, and, and that's kind of it. There aren't big fences and things like that. Um, you know, they have gates or guards at the gates. But, um, you know, as far as the creatures go, they can come and go at will, you know, through those
2: forests. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, even a six-foot... Barbed wire fences, nothing. Yeah, to I, think,
1: them. I think those fences are only like five feet, probably five five strand wire. they they've been there for a long time.
2: Yeah, yeah. But um, it's much the
4: same here with Colleen, uh, with y- Fort Hood, which I think is the largest. <clears throat> if I'm,
1: I think I it correct is. On this, yeah. I think
4: it is the largest uh, uh, army military establishment anywhere in the world right. and they have thousands of acres out there and some of it is fenced with high fencing some of it's not fenced but you will periodically see the science military establishment no trespassing mm-hmm. you know um so and they have plenty of sightings out there in that area even oh, sure. people that live in the surrounding areas will tell you about uh you know bigfoot encounters out there all around colleen mm-hmm. and um and parker heights and all that area out there
1: yeah, any area that's really has a big open area that's, you know, and like I said, people think, oh, you know, it's a military base, there's a lot of activity. Eh, uh-huh. Not really. <laughs> not, not what you think. You know, no. different training exercises, things like that. Uh, I remember when I was stationed in Germany, we were in the field a lot more there than I was stationed at Fort Lewis, for example. So even though we did go pretty often, but a lot of times we'd go to Yakima, we'd go to other areas. It wasn't so much all the time, right on base. And, uh, we did a lot of training and not necessarily out in the forest all that much or for long time periods. So it's kind of sporadic, but Fort Lewis has a lot of areas that don't get used. So, you know, the creatures have access. In fact, uh, I worked for a company after I was out of the military for years when I moved back north and, uh company was in in yelm the town of yelm and we used to get safety briefings about they talked about uh uh i think it was methamphetamine labs that were actually on military on military property out there and to be be careful be watchful those for those kinds of things so that kind of gives you an idea of how little use some of those areas are
2: wow that's uh I would imagine uh, that there would be some severe repercussions to be caught doing that. Oh, I'm sure. Not just, yeah. <laughs> you know, you're on federal property, so. But with the military,
1: usually, you know, the experience is you're, you're too busy doing your job. And unless unless there's some connection, unless something happens where you they need to focus on that, they don't. Because they have plenty of other things to do.
4: Well, yeah, and your SPs uh, and MPs, uh, just from personal experience, their patrols are, uh, are are pretty much regimented by time. And uh, so, somebody wanting to do something on base, all they have to do is be familiar when the, uh, with when the patrols come around right. and just avoid them.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, unless and, unless and they get their
2: some...
1: yeah unless they get their attention for some specific reason. You know those
2: exactly. those
1: routines stay in place, and and these people can go unfettered.
2: You know there are, there's some humorous stories about that. I don't I don't know if any of them are true. Where you may have uh, a Coast Guard station right next to a naval station, and it's possible that the two may harass themselves, being well aware of what the routine is of the uh, shore patrol. <laughs> Won't go into that though. I I can
1: tell you a funny story. One time we were in the field at Fort Lewis and and I was a squad leader with the with fifth air Cav at the time. And I had a 15 man squad. So we were deployed and I can't remember what the exercise, what what we were doing, but I told my team leaders, I said, go ahead and, you know, get the men set up. We're going to, this is our perimeter. This is what we're doing. And I went to do something else. And I came back to check to make sure everybody was in place. We were ready. And, and the guy's, a couple of the, my team leaders came to me and they said look Sarge you know some civilians came out here and brought us a case of beer and I about crapped because you can't have that when you're <laughs> when you're in a field condition right and so I said you know here comes my boss and 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 the lieutenant I said you better get rid of that quick so they started chugging the beer and I said no 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 you need to get rid of it don't drink it damn it <laughs> you know typical gi's right and uh, but it just goes to show that we were deployed in this training exercise you know and it wasn't just us it was um, I think the whole squadron in, in the cavalry have squadrons you don't have battalions so there's you know four or five hundred people out there uh, and plus whatever other units were there it was a fairly large operation and civilians still came on base unchecked and were bringing the guys beer so that just goes to show you you know, if 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 people are doing that when the guys are out there, what are the Sasquatch doing? They can kind of come and go as they want to in those places.
2: I would bet dimes and dollars a Sasquatch isn't bringing beer, though.
1: Probably not, because uh, <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be a whole different case. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, no pun intended. Come on. Right.
1: What else do we have, Tom?
2: Okay. All right, so we got a question here, a um, couple of interesting ones. It says, I'm looking for you might a question that you might be able to answer and that there's the present. and I think this is, again, up in Washington State, the presence of decapitated birds repeatedly left in areas where children regularly play where Bigfoot activity has been happening or reported. Um, do you think it would be Bigfoot? And if so, what would be the intent? Could you speculate on why they would do something like that?
1: You know, I I, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to see the birds first. And, uh, I mean, something with big hands like that, I, I just don't know the purpose. I mean, I'll, I'll give you an example. I had a cat when I lived in Vancouver. And my, my roommates at the time didn't want her because she was vicious to them. She only liked me. And she had a little... Uh, they said she was evil because out in the yard under a, um, had this uh, ornamental cherry tree uh, near the hedge and, and the cat had a a little evil bearing ground up there and it was mostly bird heads and things like that. <laughs> so I would say, I would say in that case, it's probably some animal like cats or something doing it, not so much a Sasquatch. I can't picture why they would do something like that.
2: Yeah. It did kind of remind me of, back in august of 20 when the other two guys and myself you know who the other two guys mm-hmm. are we were about 10 10 at night we're in an area where there was plenty of activity actually it's the same area that we were at in september mm-hmm. and i even wrote it up in a report that about 10 10 at night something had climbed up a tree and was agitating a bird up there just incredibly for about two or three minutes suddenly stopped don't know if it was we'll see that's a different story head off or... that's a different yeah, story if you're I
1: going know. for a meal that's one thing um we were up here in northern california a number of years back to this uh there's a couple of lakes in an area where we go to up there and my, my friend jack and i were sitting there with no lights or anything we we're just listening this one night and on the other side of this small lake we could hear um a duck that was just going crazy and then it went silent. We heard some loud splashes and wondering now whether it was, I don't know. I can't say it was a Sasquatch because you couldn't see anything and there was no other sign. We searched the area the next day and couldn't just couldn't tell because there was so much, um, underbrush and stuff. There was, there was no, um, no sign, you know, no impressions in mud or anything. It was just too much brush and grass, but, um, You know it's not there just to pull their heads off and leave leave a message they were something was going after a meal so i suspect in that case you have the same thing but as far as leaving bird heads around where kids are playing i I don't really see the connection
2: yeah well and i have seen um, cats that will for whatever reason They go out and they catch the mice and they just eat the heads and leave the rest of the body there. Mm So we're kind of getting off on a tangent here. (laughs) Well, no, it's... The cats are getting some heat. (laughs) It's just showing what different animals do. Right, exactly. Um, Okay, so the same person wants to know, has Bigfoot been known to make a vocalization that encompasses... It's sort of like a combination of helicopter blades emotion and whirring sound almost like a U, what the ufo sounds in the movies and uh and this is in the vicinity of big dominant nature dogs so i've never heard um, that no i haven't either i think it is interesting that the uh the bigfoot can make they seem to be able to make all sorts of mm-hmm. vocalizations and mimic sounds but we don't now, I don't know. I don't know if that's been documented, if anybody's seen that, but they do seem to be talented at making all sorts of noises.
1: Oh, sure. And I don't think they're just playing with dogs. They just, they'll just they just kill dogs, but. <coughs>
4: well, if they're making sounds like that, that it would almost lead me to believe that they've got a went bone like what we do.
1: Could very well be, sure.
4: Yeah, your other primates don't do that. but then they lack that.
1: Right, right. What else do we have, Tom?
2: Well, I was going to ask for us to kind of expand on that just a little bit about that bone that also gives um, us the ability to have speech. Is that correct? Correct, yes. Okay, and so uh, if they do have that bone, if they are able to make those sounds, and I I guess you could – Suppose that they have a uh, ability to talk, which it's not nothing new there. We've heard that. Um, okay. The other question we have here is location, location, location. Are Bigfoot strictly in areas of high mountains and where there's a lot of forest? Or have they been seen in open plains where... They may not have as much concealment.
1: Well, the first answer is no, because they've been seen everywhere. I think we have reports from people in virtually every state in the Union.
2: Okay. And so they don't have to have thick forested areas, high mountains. No. What about... The open plains.
1: Well, when you think of open plains, you know, we don't really, if you, if you're thinking Kansas or Nebraska, drive through Kansas or Nebraska sometime, what you see is nothing but miles and miles and miles of corn in a lot of places. So there's plenty of, number one, there's plenty of food and you see a lot of animal life there. I mean, I can't tell you how many, how many pheasants, coyotes, antelope, all kinds of animals in those regions and the locals there. tell you, hunting is usually pretty good. So there's lots of resources for them, and there's no reason why they wouldn't adapt to that.
2: Exactly. Well, and I've got well. family in the Midwest, and it's even though it's it's as you know you can see uh, tomorrow's weather today, it's there's still a lot of uh, little, there's little ravines, there's valleys, there's gullies, there's um, little thickets, the area there's open areas, and then there's areas with concealment and hills and that sort of thing even though the thing i uh, people in the midwest don't hold this against me but i have yet to be out there where you drive and you don't see a house way out on the hill somewhere you know trying to get out to an area where there's like uh wilderness was virtually impossible at least the state that i was in
1: go ahead first i knew you're gonna make a comment
4: well i was just gonna say that you know you always hear people talking about Texas is so flat, which is such a misnomer. It's not even, it's, uh, we laugh about it. But anyway, and you know, you see miles and miles of Texas. Well, uh, you got in the panhandle. Yeah, you can. But you know, I was just about to say the same thing that Tom just uh, uh, discussed the ravines and gullies and creeks and such that cut through them. Yeah. You might look out there and it looks like flat land, but then you drive along and all of a sudden you're looking at this huge gully down there. And the thing about these gullies and creek beds, too, out there in the the plains, these things, they hold water, and then you'll see all of a sudden these cottonwoods, especially cottonwoods Mm -hmm. around here, will grow around these uh, creeks and springs and such that are down there in those gullies, and they provide a a beautiful habitat for a lot of animals.
1: And even... And,
4: uh, yeah, you may stand up on the the top and, and just look for miles and miles and... And uh, like Tom said, see tomorrow's weather. But, uh, um, you know, you got to realize that those gullies provide uh, a great uh, hideaway.
1: Even in, when I was in southern New Mexico last year, uh, you know, visiting family, we, I went, met with TW and we went out to an area. In fact, two weeks before I got there, uh, he was told by a friend of his in the local police department that uh, some teenagers were out, you know, partying, out in the desert and not not for not talking flat desert there's a lot of a lot of hills ravines rocks things like that um, and there's you know enough vegetation out there but uh, one of these creatures was throwing rocks at them and they got pretty scared and they reported it so TW went to the location with the officer and and then when I got there we went and looked at it and sure enough we found evidence out there and, uh, and it's not that far from the Rio Grande and there's a lot of pecan orchards in that region so uh, they have plenty of resources, so they'll be in those places.
2: You know, TW had a story there, and this kind of go kind of goes into gifting, unintentional gifting. And uh, Will, I think you know the story where there's some college kids out there partying, and they had a big cooler full of beer,
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> and and one of the Bigfoot, uh, th- they were astonished. They saw this creature come out. Yeah. It actually opened the cooler and grabbed a beer and took off i don't remember that one <laughs> that was, that was one gun. that you told me about where tw said that there was uh the college kids were having a party out there and and uh they actually saw this thing come out and take a beer out of the cooler i thought well there you go that's a that's a tv commercial <laughs> i'm gonna if have, I ever I'm gonna have
1: to part. ask him what well, it was like you, do you ever see the kokanee commercial that renee Hendon was on
2: Yes, it's yeah. it's hilarious
1: because he's talking, you know, to the camera about all this stuff, and and here the Bigfoot goes in his trailer and it's just rocking the thing all over the place and stealing his beer, and and he's just oblivious to it. <laughs> it was pretty comical, <laughs> well, Mike, you actually. Like you do, right? <laughs>
4: <laughs> I mean, there's proof to that statement. There is
1: absolutely, and we see it more and more. You know, when we when we think about that, with these things doing things. Um, and there's, there's people out there who discount behavior and all these small pieces that create the larger picture. Um, you can't discount this stuff. You really can't. It's extremely important.
2: Well, you know, going back to the uh, beer stealing incident, it, it also, if that happened, it underscores what we've said all along. And that is the creatures can, you can be under observation for a prolonged period of time. You have absolutely no idea that you're being watched. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or that they're there. Uh, sometimes people get the feeling, you know, that creepy feeling like I'm being watched or I need to leave. There's, a, a, you know, imminent danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think more often than not, and I don't know why there's a distinction between the two, but quite often they're there and you have no clue that they're there.
1: Well, as Forrest mentioned before, chimps do that.
2: Oh, yeah.
4: Uh, exactly, they do it, and so do gorillas, and just quietly sit there observing you.
2: Of course, have there been any stories of chimps stealing beer? That's what I want to know.
4: Well, not that I know of, but you know, I haven't been over to Africa to interview anybody. Lately. You know, I,
2: I've
1: interviewed a few people, a few different accounts where, you know, it was hunters or or people out camping, things like that. I there's like off the top of my head, I can think of three or four different stories that were very similar. Uh, in fact, I had a neighbor years ago that was, he was special forces in Vietnam and I met him, oh, it was in the early nineties and he was telling me that up by Mount St. Helens, they were hunting and I can't remember how many people in his party, four or five, something like that. And and they left, they had a big cooler. It was one of these really big ones and they had all their supplies in there and they were all went out for the day hunting when they came back, uh, the cooler was emptied of its contents and they just dumped them all over, you know, the ground. I I don't remember. I think they may have taken some of the meat or whatever that was in there, but didn't of course didn't touch the cans, (laughs) but it just kind of reminded me that And, and this other stories were very similar where, you know, the creatures might come in, they might open the cooler, um, either not take anything or just dump the contents all over. Well, we're just about out of time. So any final thoughts or comments?
2: Um, actually, I just want to say thank you to everybody for sending in your questions. They're excellent questions. They keep the topic alive. And if you have a question, and you don't ask, it could be a question that dozens, or you know, considering our audience, could be hundreds of other people that are have the same question. So absolutely send those in questions at Creekdevil.com, and we will answer them here on the air. Absolutely. Any final thoughts, Forrest?
4: No, I don't think so. I was just going to say, then there's no such thing as a a stupid question. So that's, you know, that's
1: absolutely right. I want to mention too that we we Tom and I interviewed a few other people this week that are going to be on upcoming shows, and and this is a universal thing that gets said to us, and that's that when they they didn't tell their story, I, and I'm thinking of one person we talked to yesterday, Tom. Uh, he said that he only told his story to. two or three or four other people. Yeah. And, and it was such a relief to talk to us and get it off his chest. And so that other people would have the benefit of knowing that, you know, it's okay to talk about their story. So having said that, you know, if you're interested in telling your story and getting it off your chest, by all means contact us and, uh, you know, get that, get that, get the relief of that. So Tom, you want to give him contact information?
2: yeah you can just reach out to us questions at creekdouble.com and usually what will happen is you'll somebody will send in an encounter and then I'll give them a call and just kind of talk it over and then decide the person can make the decision if they want to come on the show more often than not they do uh, but it's I think it's a huge relief simply to chat about it and it's it's good to have somebody who isn't questioning your belief well we might you know if you say i saw it (laughs) it got into the ufo it flew around and zapped some cows okay well i'd say that's interesting but no (laughs) seriously uh
1: well and and remember folks we record the interview so if there's anything that you want edited out we'll do that before it ever airs yeah so you have full control over that Alright, folks, well, we're going to wrap this session up and stay tuned for the next segment. In Bigfoot History, near White Rock, British Columbia, July 1966, a Mr. Latul living in a small house built against a steep bank at the edge of town reported to the RCMP that a light colored Sasquatch came up the trail to his house in the moonlight, fooled around in the area for some time, and then went up a ladder and over the roof to the hill abutting the back of his house. He reported this to the RCMP, who investigated but reached no conclusions.
5: Welcome This collection of stories is being brought to you by William Jevning and are being narrated by me, Jim Sower. Story number one. Grand Marais, Cook County, Minnesota, 2011. Snowmobiler spot Sasquatch in Superior National Forest. My sighting occurred in Minnesota. The nearest city to the sightings is Grand Marais, Minnesota. The sighting was in the Superior National Forest on January 29, 2011 around 3.30 in the afternoon. The area has many lakes and this sighting was near a tributary to one of the lakes. The nearest road to this area is Gunflint Trail. What I and my sister saw that day was incredible. We were snowmobiling in the back country of northern Minnesota when my family and I were approaching a downhill section of the trail we were on. There was a clearing on the hillside above us where there was a break in the trees as i began my descent on the trail i happened to look up and spotted something in the clearing about two hundred yards above me my sister and i were at the back of our group so we both slowed to a stop to see what caught my attention when we looked at what i saw we observed a tall man-like creature watching us it stood there for about a minute then reached up grabbed a branch and walked off into the trees the creature we saw was maybe seven feet and was dark brown in color with darker areas around the face and chest area. It had long arms and a very human-like appearance with a high forehead area. We grew up in this area and know the local wildlife extremely well. This is not a bear or moose. We have never seen anything like this before. My family has been somewhat skeptical about the sightings of these beings, so when we saw it, it really frightened us. Sorry, no photos, because I was on a snowmobile, and it is rather hard to carry a camera in an easily accessible place. We circled around and could see large barefoot tracks in the snow. The snow is so deep in Minnesota this year, so it was hard to get close enough to get any pictures of the tracks. But you could definitely tell that a two-legged creature passed through the area where we saw it. I wish I had more evidence, but unfortunately I never dreamed that I would ever see something like this, so it really stunned us. My sister doesn't want to go there again, but I would really like to go back in the summer to see if there is anything to be found. This definitely made me a believer in Sasquatch. We did not report it to any authorities for fear of being ridiculed. My sister and I wished to remain anonymous for this same reason. But we would like the rest of our story to be shared so that others will know that they are not crazy if they see one of these creatures. Anonymous in Grand Marais, Minnesota February 2012 That's the end of story number one. Story number two A story out of Siskiyou County, California Approximately 1996 My name is Mark Kennedy and I have a good story. It happened about ten years ago while a crew of twelve, including myself, was working a contract for the Forest Service to clear a couple miles of Wilderness Trail. I believe it was our first night at this particular spot, which was an area in the north end of the Trinity Alps. It was about twenty-six miles into the wilderness zone of the Trinity Forest. Camp was about five miles off the road in a beautiful meadow with a small lake called Red Cap Lake. We were done with our second day of work on this particular trail. It was a trail that took you through the prayer rocks of the Hoopa and Yurok tribes. Being in the Trinity Alps, obviously, we were really high up. We started at about 5,000 feet and maybe went up another 1,000. The trail was about 10 or 12 miles long and split about 3 miles south of Red Cap Lake. One trail took you down into one of the many gorgeous secluded valleys in the Alps. The other took you to a point. Literally, the end of the trail was on a point that extended out quite a few feet from the true edge of the cliff. At that point, we were about 2,000 feet above the forest below us. So, we were very remote. In the meadow, our first night there, we split into two groups trying to find the best camp spot. Really, not hard to do. The meadow was just about twice the size of a football field. Half was all knee-high green grass. The entire west side of the meadow was a small lake. You could catch pan-sized trout all day long in that little lake. Now, Our meadow was off the main trail which rode the peaks of the mountains we were on. You walked down into this meadow from the north end, and as you walked you got a bird's eye view of the entire area. At the south end of the meadow was an extremely rocky cliff that rose above the lake about 200 to 300 feet with the forest ending right at the edge at the top. So now you understand the area a little as I tell this story. We were just finishing our nightly session to end the day around the campfire. Both campsites were at the south end of the grass near the rocks, not far from one another. Everybody had just grown quiet as we all were drifting off to sleep. Suddenly there was this god-awful screaming, howling-like noise that echoed through the meadow to make it sound like the screaming was coming from all directions. And for what seemed to be forever, the strange noise finally stopped and was followed up by one of the trees at the top of the rock cliff getting pushed off. I swear that tree must have hit every single rock that was in its path on the way down." And as it grew closer, the more petrified I became due to its sounding like it was right on top of our camp. Finally the crashing noise came to a stop without ever landing on someone's tent. I still couldn't move, though. I was frozen position and in... I still couldn't move, though. I was frozen position and seeing the brightest shade of yellow I've ever seen. I think the others were too. Nobody wanted to come out of their tents, but everybody wanted the reassurance of the others. The rest of the night was uneventful. The next morning we were all around the campfire, sounding like a bunch of old biddies, gossiping about the night before. We found the tree that came down. It was a full grown fir. Must have been a full sized tree when it started down the cliff. Wasn't much left of it when it got to the bottom. I have never heard that strange scream since, and have been back in the woods plenty. None of us could come up with a reasonable explanation for what we heard that night shortly thereafter we were joined by a guide who was native american this guide informed us that the prayer rocks i wrote about earlier are on sacred ground and it is believed that there is a bigfoot protecting that whole mountain the guide also went on to say that the noise has been heard before but in other places we discussed how big of a creature it would take to push over a full grown pine or fir tree we know it wasn't a bear unless bears are coming up with horrifying new screams. So, it wasn't a bear, but it had to be big and strong. The tree's circumference was about four, maybe five feet. And, we concluded from memory of seeing the tree, it was about fifty feet tall and very much alive. At least the parts we were looking at came from a live tree. Nobody would climb up the easy rocky cliff to see where the tree used to be located, so I couldn't tell you if there were any footprints or not. But I can say that this story was backburned in my memory to tell at the campfires for entertainment. It became very interesting when I heard one of many documentaries about this screaming, howling like noise that the Bigfoot has been known to make. When I heard that, all of a sudden, that night needed to be shared. This is the end of this story. Story number four. August 2007, Lake Tahoe, Placer County, California. Tracks found 18 inches long, 9 inches wide. I was camping last August with my nephew north of Lake Tahoe. We had been in a moderately developed campground, Crystal Peak Overlook, about 20 miles northwest of Reno, Nevada, where we live. There, my nephew made friends with another little boy, and I started talking to the other little boy's grandmother. She told me how her husband and son had found these Bigfoot prints, that May, along a creek, above another nearby campground, Dog Valley Creek. They reported that in one print they could even make out separate tow tracks. They told a ranger, who gave them some plastic tape to mark the spot, That got me curious, so we moved camp the next day to Dog Valley, a primitive campground. This is on the dry side of the Sierras at the Timberline, which is about 6,000 feet. Generally, the granite soil of the Sierras doesn't sustain much vegetation, but in this area several small streams converge to make a marshy pasture with a lot of biodiversity. We hiked up the creek that flows through the campground. It was a moderately steep climb, About a hundred yards up, I spotted the bits of tape tied to sticks stuck in the ground in a particularly thick patch of trees. The forest floor was covered with pine needles, but you could still see the depressed area of the prints sunk in the soil beneath leaves. In August, when we were there, even I, at over two hundred pounds, didn't leave a footprint, but perhaps in May, in the deep shade, the ground had been muddy enough to take tracks. There were three prints marked out, but only one was still the outline of a full foot. However, I could no longer make out any separate toe impressions. It was about 18 inches long and nearly 9 inches wide. All the pictures I took came out pretty useless. Only the one where I put my bare foot in the tracks gives you any idea of size. The area is about 20 miles from human habitation, but gets hmm, maybe a dozen people a week off-roading during June through October. The roads to the area aren't cleared in the winter, so there's hardly anyone there until May. The area is in the rain shadow of the high Sierra Peak, so even in winter there's probably less than a couple feet of snow, and it has lots of springs. I'd guess this area would have edible vegetation, if not all winter, at least very early in the spring. This area is not too far south of the Cascade Range, where there are more Sasquatch reports, and might be the sort of area a species might migrate south to for the winter. My nephew asked if the footprint could be made by a really tall person, like a basketball player, so when I got home I did some net research. 18 inches would be a shoe size. 26, many, many, e's. The nearest I found was a guy 8 foot 4 who wears a size 25. There are less than a dozen people in the USA that tall, and most use canes or crutches and wouldn't be up to a barefoot hike in the mountains. I don't have a scanner, but I'll see if I can find a friend to scan the one halfway decent photo to you. Yes, I did have a camera, but it was a little 35 millimeter disposable and the footprint I found is hard to make out, and the markings on the measuring tape I had in one picture can't even be made out at all. There may have been three prints, but only one was clear enough to be a definite footprint. Gina Bagney. Date, Friday, 1st of February, 2008. That's the end of story number four this next story is entitled wichita county arkansas nineteen forties i am seventy five years old i was raised in the county of wichita in arkansas we used to hear bigfoots during winter time dad says they were panthers till dad and his brother saw five bigfoots in a pool of water at a river bottom my uncle never got over that shock and would not go into the woods again Dad said they were ugly, and the females had breasts that hung down to here, pointing to his body. I recall laying in that broad shack. It was cold, listening to them scream and scream, and they did a lot. When I was all of five years old, my dad was out running trap line and doing some farming in the summertime. It was at this time that our canned goods began to go missing from our smokehouse. One time, whole smoked ham disappeared. We could not figure out who was taking the food. My dad told mother that he thought someone or something was following him when he was out running his trap lines. One day he spotted someone. The little fellow was about four and a half feet tall with hair all over him. It also had a hump back and was very ugly in the face which had facial hair. Dad began talking to it and leaving food for the little fellow. It wasn't long before when my dad would go into the woods and holler, the little guy would suddenly appear. We named him Little Sam, which was a name my grandpa had. Nobody knew about Little Sam outside of our family. All those years Dad was in touch with Little Sam, I only saw him two times in my childhood. After I got married and moved to Oklahoma, my mother wrote me and told me about Dad and Little Sam, saying that they had not seen Little Sam in some time, but they went looking for him and found him dead. When I was reading the letter, I started to cry. It was very sad. Little Sam never uttered a word that I heard about, but he grunted. This is the end of story number five. This is story number six. Wild Man in McHenry County, Velva, North Dakota, 1908. The Stevens Point Journal, Stevens Point, Wisconsin, Saturday, February 16th, 1908. Captured a wild man, curious find recently made at Velva, North Dakota, The journal is in receipt of a clipping from a Velva, North Dakota paper from J. Thomas, who is formerly a resident of Keene, a son of Mrs. John Thomas, who still lives at Keene. It relates to the discovery of an alleged wild man near Velva, not far from Mr. Thomas's home. IT IS STATED, FOR THREE YEARS THERE HAVE BEEN RUMORS OF THIS WILD MAN BEING SEEN BY PERSONS OF VERACITY, BUT HE HAD NEVER BEEN ENCOUNTERED AT CLOSE RANGE UNTIL A FEW DAYS AGO, WHEN TWO CATTLEMEN WHO WERE OUT HUNTING SUDDENLY CAME UPON HIM FACE TO FACE AS HE EMERGED FROM A THICKET OF BRUSH. ONE OF THEM SUCCEEDED IN THROWING A LASSO AROUND HIM, AND BEFORE HE COULD ESCAPE HE WAS DRAGGED TO A TREE AND BOUND ROUND AND ROUND WITH THE LASSO. Later he was bound hand and foot, and carried to town on a dray, where he was imprisoned in a basement. His only clothing was a loin-girdle of sheepskin tied with binder twine. He had not been shaved or had a haircut in years, and being a man of an extremely hairy variety, he presented a very grotesque and wild appearance. His eye-teeth are reported to be unnaturally elongated in the form of tusks, He refused to talk or eat anything, but drank water like a horse, half a pail at a time. The singular part of it is that this man has always been seen within two miles of the village of Velva. This is the end of story number six. Story number seven. Montgomery County, Arkansas, June 2008. On May 26, 2008, While the writer was in Clark County, Alabama, with area researchers, information was received by telephone from C.K., an Arkansas RFP Research Project investigator, that a married couple in the rural Montgomery County, Arkansas, had found evidence and had heard sounds that indicated more than one reclusive forest primate was foraging on their property at night. That information had been submitted to C.K., by the adult son of the woman who is joint owner and resident of the property. On June seventh, two 2008, CK and the property owner's son and the writer drove to the site and met with the couple. We arrived about 3 o'clock p.m. and left shortly after 11 o'clock p.m. The couple are in their late forties and both have daytime employment in Hot Springs. They have purchased a 16-acre tract of land in Montgomery County and plan to build a home on it later. The north side of the property slopes to a small spring-fed creek. That hillside and the creek bottoms below are densely forested with various hardwoods, pine, and cedar. The underbrush has been cleared from the area of the planned home site. Along the creek there is a very thick undergrowth of vines and brush. The land south of the creek was at one time cultivated, but it is now overgrown in brush, vines, and small trees through which trails have been cut with a bush hog. Throughout the property there is a prolific growth of muscadine, summer grape, and blackberry vines. There are at least two pear trees in the old cultivated area, although the one seen by the writer appears to be ornamental Bradford pear, A neighbor told them that he had gathered pears from one of the trees. Earlier this year, the owners obtained utilities on the property, and in late February or early March, they opened a driveway through the timber on the north portion of the property. In late February of this year, they purchased a new travel trailer and installed it about 75 yards from the county road that is the northern boundary of the property. General Information About the Area The actual location of the property is not disclosed at the owner's request the property is within two miles of a river which is a popular stream for canoeing and wade fishing the site is within the foothills of the relatively small but rugged caddo mountains which adjoin the southern flank of the wichita mountains the area contains a large population of deer turkey and raccoon The area has some cougar and, no doubt, many bobcat. A large male cougar was reportedly killed within one-half mile of the property a short time ago. During this initial visit to the site, the writer noted a very fresh cougar track in the dust alongside the county road near the home where a wide, well-used game trail crosses the county road. While the area is expected to contain all the other small animals and birds common to this part of the state, it was surprising that no coyote sign was seen around the property, and when asked, the owners said they had never heard coyotes in the area. Summary of Events After moving into the travel trailer, the owners built a wooden porch patio underneath the trailer's retractable awning. While neither of the residents are hunters, and neither own a firearm. They are both avid bird and animal watchers. They have installed feeders for birds and began putting out dog food and scraps for the raccoons. For some time the couple had been spreading corn on the ground in a spot in the woods in front east of the trailer and at another location on the opposite side of the trailer as food for the deer. Sometime after they started putting out corn for the deer they found a carcass of a deer near the west side feeding area. The witnesses stated that one of the deer's front legs and its head had been torn off. The head was found a few yards away, but the leg was partially eaten nearby. Both of the deer's back legs were broken, and much of its hind quarters had been eaten before the carcass was found. They stated the deer's body cavity and stomach had been torn open, and the internal organs had been removed there was undigested corn and corn mush inside the body cavity and spilled outside the carcass. When the carcass was again viewed the next day, they saw fresh blood and an exposed shoulder blade which indicated something had fed on the carcass overnight. A week or so later, another deer carcass was found at the other baiting site in front of the trailer. Both of the deer's back legs were broken and the carcass torn open and partially consumed. Shortly after finding the last deer carcass, the couple stopped putting out corn because they thought a cougar was ambushing the deer at the baiting locations. A day or two later, the couple found an injured dog lying beside the porch early one morning. They don't own a dog. When they stepped outside, the dog managed to get up and walk away, but there was a large bloody area on the ground where it had been lying. Shortly after seeing the injured dog, they found out that another dog... A Rottweiler, weighing close to 200 pounds and, belonging to the neighbor, had been attacked or otherwise injured. Something had torn off one of that dog's back legs. According to the couple, the dog somehow managed to return to his owner's home and still was alive. The couple said that now, the large dog usually just stays on the porch and will no longer leave the owner's yard. Investigators note, when C.K., and the woman's son and this writer were leaving the couple's home site and driving through the woods road toward the county road the night of the initial meeting, C.K., who was sitting in the front passenger seat, told me there was a deer in the woods on my side of the vehicle. I stopped and saw an animal that I at first thought was a coyote moving through the woods. As I entered a more open spot, we saw that it was a large dog. We then drove away. The next night, about 8.30 p.m., the property owner called to tell me that when he went outside early that morning he found a dog badly injured at the old baiting site east of the trailer. He said that it appeared the dog's back or its hips had been broken. He said at the time that he did not think that the dog would survive, although he said the dog managed to drag itself away the next morning. From his description of the dog, It was the same one that the three of us had seen the night before. Shortly after finding the deer carcasses, the husband spoke to a neighbor about any strange things that had occurred on the neighbor's property. The neighbor reportedly told him that five of his sheep had been killed and ripped apart inside an enclosure. When asked what he thought had killed the sheep, the neighbor said he thought it was dogs, because he found some type of terrier "'inside the enclosure when he found the dead sheep. "'The couple stated that they had often sat outside "'on the patio porch at night "'and early in the morning during the week. "'He arises about 4.30 a.m. on weekdays to make coffee, "'and she joins him outside for a few minutes later. "'They both leave for work about 5 a.m. "'They stated that on many occasions "'when they stepped outside before daylight,' They would hear the sounds of something crashing through the woods and brush near the trailer. They assumed it was deer bounding away, although they thought it was odd that deer would make such noise leaving the area. They said that on several occasions they had heard loud, ape, or monkey-like sounds from the adjoining woods while sitting outside late in the evening and at night. Recently it became apparent to them that at times the sounds were being made by more than one animal. A few weeks ago a relative found a very large about 18 inches long track in a fire ant hill near the creek. The residents found another such track in one of their small vegetable gardens located northeast of the trailer. On the day of this initial visit the writer observed two recently made tracks of about the same approximate size in the leaves and soil west of the trailer. The property owners also reported that some of the suet blocks used to feed birds were torn down and removed. They supposed that raccoons had taken the food, even though the couple thought they had suspended the blocks out of the reach of those animals. The husband began using wire to secure the door of the wire suet baskets so that raccoons could not open them if they managed to get them. Although the wife stated she could not open the baskets with her hands after her husband wired them shut, Something continued to tear the baskets down and open them to obtain and consume the suet blocks. Recently the couple began putting up hummingbird feeders. Two of the feeders are small, but one holds about a quart of sugared water. A few nights ago, when the large feeder was nearly full, something reached the feeder and drank the entire contents except for some spillage that coated the outside surface of the container. The feeder was elevated and suspended away from a tree trunk, on an L bracket. Because of the position of the container and its capacity the couple thinks it is unlikely that raccoons emptied it although they concede that a raccoon might have been responsible. Other details while completing this initial report the writer telephoned the reporting witnesses at 8 40 p.m. on June 10th to ask about a few details. After clarifying the details "'The husband asked if he could pose a question to me. "'When I told him that, of course, he could, "'he asked if I had ever heard whooping-type sounds "'which he began to imitate over the phone. "'The sounds he made were nearly identical "'to the whooping sounds attributed "'to the reclusive forest primates. "'When I told him the possible source of the sounds, "'he said that both he and his wife "'had heard those sounds about twenty minutes earlier "'coming from the opposite side of the creek "'and downstream.' After some discussion, he said that he might go onto the porch and make those sounds to see what would happen. I advised him to be extra careful because the animals might be much closer than when he heard them originally. This is the end of this collection of stories. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil.